0: Mr. Moffat, can I have an autograph?
1: Is that the muffin that thing, Rob?
0: Eyes, that's him away, Dave.
1: Ah, bucket I wanted to say cheerio. And I'm Dave.
0: And you're listening to The Doctor Who Show, where we're back for our third series. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob.
1: Did you have a good Christmas break?
0: I did have a good Christmas break. We chatted, uh, I guess, on Boxing Day, but since then, we've, uh, we haven't we have done anything yet. And gosh, it's almost the end of January.
1: It, it is. It is. Australia Day is just around the corner.
0: It is indeed. So uh, hello to all of you out there. Thanks for continuing to listen to the show. And uh, we hope you got that little pre-credits teaser.
1: Uh, Yes, I hope you got the reference there. We certainly had fun putting it together.
0: (laughs) Now, Dave, before we kick off with the news, you've been doing something very interesting over the break in those weeks where we haven't been recording. Tell us what you've done. Uh, I went to the
1: Middle East for two weeks, mostly Israel.
0: Wow, what inspired that? It's not where most people would say they're going for holidays. They'd say I'm going to Tahiti or Hawaii or something. Uh, Look,
1: as you know, Rob, I'm very much a history buff, uh, and I do credit very much Doctor Who, particularly the Hartnell era, with first firing that love of history and other cultures and other civilizations and you don't get much more history than you know ancient judea yeah and so to be able to go to somewhere like you know i I know when australians go to america and we go wow 400 year old buildings that's pretty cool and then we go to the europe and we're like wow a thousand year old buildings that's pretty cool and here i was in israel looking at stuff that's three four five six thousand years old
0: Yeah, that's pretty mind-blowing stuff. I saw some of your pictures, of course, on Facebook. I was like, oh, that looks like a really good trip to be on.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So we did a lot of Israel, um, had some meetings in both Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, Uh, went up and saw Matula, which is the northernmost city right on the Syrian and Lebanon border, went down to Masada and swam in the Dead Sea, which is absolutely incredible, Uh, but also went into the Palestinian territories, went to Bethlehem, Ramallah, Hebron, Mm-hmm. So, yeah, saw all of that. But Doctor Who reference visited the ancient port of Jaffa.
0: Ah, very good. The Knight of Jaffa.
1: The Knight of Jaffa. What a really, really good story, the Crusades. And um, I've got to tell you a little private anecdote here, Rob, just to yes. give you some context. When part one of the Crusades was first discovered, and hello to the discoverer, we know you listen. <laughs> um, when that was first discovered, uh, we went along myself and a few other friends to a meeting at the local Doctor Who club. And we hadn't seen it yet but copies were circulating and as we we're walking towards the venue one of our friends has jumped out of the bushes pointed a finger at us and gone good afternoon and <laughs> we've all looked at him crazily going dude what, are you, what, what what's that about and he said oh you haven't seen the crusades yet have you We said no he said when you do you'll laugh and so we all went home got our copies that day i think put it on and the bit where hartnell jumps out at the saracens and goes good afternoon <laughs> <laughs> we all just burst out laughing, and to that day, I couldn't help it, but I, mean, I was walking around the, uh, the city of Jaffa, and all I could think of was William Hartnell going, Good afternoon!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have done it to someone. No, you might have got shot. Maybe not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not in Tel
1: Aviv. Tel is a very, very pleasant city. But yeah, it was. look, it was very fun, and I, I don't sort of have it as a life mission to visit all of the locations of Doctor Who historicals. But certainly, when it's a 50-50 call to, I think that kind of sways me to go.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's very, very cool stuff.
1: I, I really enjoyed it. Hmm.
0: Shall we rip into some news? Because we've got a ton of stuff to get through this episode.
1: Let's go straight into it.
0: Okay. I'll kick off with something I saw that looked quite interesting. Doctor Who and the Cricket Men by Douglas Adams and James Goss. This is, if people don't know, a... Uh, i think originally it was a movie treatment that douglas adams was putting together for it for a doctor who movie yes and uh he he put together a whole lot of notes and even wrote a, some dialogue here and there and this was all saved in some library somewhere james goss has come along he's already adapted some of douglas adams other work into novel form and uh he's now made this into a novel i'm quite interested in reading this actually
1: i've certainly ordered my copy and i don't think it's been posted yet from the local supplier but it's due to be hopefully i'll get it sometime this coming week
0: yeah uh more so even than some of the other stuff that of Adams that has been novelized because i know the tv episodes i i, I know things like sharder and so on whereas this is kind of you know new territory for me that said i believe a lot of it was reworked into one of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy books um i think Life, the universe and everything so maybe it will seem very familiar once i start reading
1: It's interesting. I've read a couple of reviews about it, and they said if you're simply expecting Life, the Universe, and Everything with Slarty Bart fast crossed out and The Doctor written in, (laughs) um, that's not what you should actually expect. Yes, there are certainly elements that were reused for Life, the Universe, and Everything, but there is actually a lot of very different stuff in there. And apparently, Adam's treatment actually had quite a lot of sample dialogue, so there is actually stuff lifted straight from Adam's work.
0: Yeah, no, that is that is very cool stuff, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So I thought I'd kick off with that.
1: No, likewise, I am as well. Maybe we'll be able to review it when we come back in a month's time.
0: Ooh, I'm not sure I'll read it that quick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe two months' time.
0: You'll have to see the pile next to my bed. Good Lord. Oh, God. okay.
1: <laughs> uh, sadder news, Rob. Mm. The death of a Doctor Who guest star, Peter Wingard.
0: Yes, and a, and a guest star in one of yours and mine favourite stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my top two or three stories from the J&T era. Uh, Planet of Fire, of course, where he played Timonov. Uh, Peter Wingard died on the 15th of January this year, aged 90.
0: Yeah, look, a, a really good innings, but so sad when these people leave us. Um, of course, played, uh, is it is it Clytus in Flash Gordon as well?
1: He was Clytus in Flash Gordon. Look, his career goes way back... Um, he was Sidney Carton in a 1957 BBC adaption of A Tale of Two Cities.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. He was
1: in The Saint, he was in The Avengers, he was in The Prisoner. He was, of course, Jason King in Department S, and then later Jason King in seventy one, seventy two. Really a tragic tale because, look, he was a homosexual before it was, certainly before it was legal and before it was um, culturally acceptable. And I suspect mm-hmm. a lot of his alcoholism came from that he was charged by police for gross indecency which basically ended his career which you know it really is very sad if he was you know 50 years later he would probably still have had a very successful career but credit to jnt i think for giving him such a big and prominent role in such an important story and he's, he's wonderful in the planet of fire and has one of my all-time favorite lines in in doctor who's history where he turns around to the non-believers and he says, Logar is everywhere and he cares for the faithful. And Mm. it's such a a poignant moment where, okay, the story is saying that your religious belief actually is a fabrication, but he has this dignity and this spirituality that rises above that and and actually makes the story all the more powerful for it. And uh, yeah, really, really sad that he's gone, but 90, what innings.
0: Yeah, look, and, and someone who's almost 90, and we should perhaps mention this, it's not in our notes, Tom Baker just had his birthday too. He's, he's he heading towards 90.
1: He is, isn't he? He just keeps going. Yeah. He must have the constitution of an ox after what he put his body through.
0: <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I was recently rereading that uh, Day in the Life of Tom Baker as told to, oh gosh, that famous of his name escapes me, in the UK. And it's, have you ever read this? It's just hilarious. I haven't, no. About how he gets up in the morning and he's hung over and he does this and he does that and he goes to the theatre. It's it's told in a very Tom Baker way. Oh, it's mm. fantastic. I'll, I'll get you a, a scan of it. You'll love it.
1: Please do, please do.
0: Now, uh, moving on, there was a there was a little piece in uh, Radio Times about The Moth, and he's one of our topics later in the episode, talking about what he would have done had David Tennant decided to stay on and what he would have done with Tennant's first series. And actually, it's not that different to what he actually did. He says, My version of that series would have been the David Tennant Doctor crashing into the back garden about to regenerate, and little Amelia would help him back into the TARDIS and he'd fly off and then she'd meet him later. He'd have no memory of it because we'd come to realise this was a Doctor from the future and we'd make, make our way through the series to the point where the Doctor gets back to that, obviously where he's going to regenerate. So he was still going to have Amelia Pond. He was still going to have you know the child meeting him early in life then later in life and all that sort of stuff. I found that quite interesting. It's only a bit of fluff, but quite interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a nice little idea. I guess it just shows that Moffat was probably thinking about how he would run Doctor Who some years before he was.
0: Mm, and always very (laughs) timey-wimey
1: that's certainly true that's certainly true Uh, one final piece Robert this is one of those um, uh, entertainment tonight style pieces that we can finish the news with
0: (laughs) should I find some glitzy music?
1: (laughs) Uh, no because Ian Levine doesn't deserve glitzy music Just, (laughs) just sensationalist music I think Ian Ian, you know, one of our favorite mega fans has been tweeting again.
0: Yes, he's back.
1: Now, the first tweet was uh, this. I must tell you all that rewatching Babylon 5, it touches depths that Doctor Who could never come close to approaching. The fact that no new B5 is being made is the greatest crime to television drama. James Straczynski is the greatest writer of intelligent science fiction in history. Wow. Now, look, that's a little bit over the top. and There's a lot of hyperbole, but look, that's a very valid opinion. Um, I think that Babylon 5 is really... I think Babylon 5 is a really great show. Uh, Does it touch depths that Doctor Who doesn't? No, I wouldn't say that, but hey, that's an opinion. Whatever, Ian, glad you're enjoying the show. I hope he was inspired to watch Babylon 5 by our Babylon 5 episode a couple of months ago.
0: (laughs) That's right, of alternate galaxies, folks. Look it up.
1: However, he then went on and said... If enough people cared and told Warner Brothers, the series could be resurrected bigger than Star Trek. And now that the heart and soul of Doctor Who has been destroyed, Babylon 5 could become our last great hope. It needs people to care and to say so. So this is where he goes from just, hey, look, I like this show better than that other show, whatever, to Doctor Who's heart and soul has been destroyed. (laughs) And as you can imagine, Twitter you know being the calm sensible rational place that we all know and love took that very mildly
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah it's unfortunate because it led to a lot of people saying oh well well i hate babylon 5 now because ian levine likes it and i'm thinking no no please no it's actually really good forget that he likes it it's still really good
1: yeah look it's interesting i think there are a lot of people very sensibly and rationally pushing back on ian going you really can't say that Doctor who's going to be over next season when you haven't seen next season um, you know I've, I've said many times on this podcast I have as little time for people who go the next Doctor is the best Doctor ever as I have the next Doctor is the worst Doctor ever when she's had four seconds of footage mm. um, you know let, let's let's actually have some evidence based opinions here guys
0: yeah look I'm really surprised that people are, are coming out of the woodwork more now that Jodie's had her little reveal in the show um, than they did when she was announced as the Doctor, you know, months and months and months ago. I, I see more sort of hateful little comments on Facebook and places like that. Um, in fact, someone was, was ranting the other day about how it's ruined the show and, and whatnot. I just said, look, here, here's a wild and crazy thought. Why not watch an episode or two first? Yeah, you know? look,
1: I, I I agree. I wonder if they sort of, you know pushed out a little bit when the casting was announced and were told, no, go and actually watch her in the role first before you judge. And now they're going, she's been in the role for four seconds. I can judge her now.
0: She pushed a button and fell out of the TARDIS. She's hopeless.
1: Yep, she's had two lines of dialogue. That's enough. <laughs> so People
0: yeah, are look,
1: strange. <laughs> people are strange. And Ian sort of walked right into the middle of that and stoked the fires. Uh, there was also, though, I thought, some quite interesting pushback on the idea that Babylon 5 should come back. People pointed out that given that something like two thirds of the cast are dead, you know, you know, you couldn't really recreate that series as it was. No, it would have to be a reboot, and a reboot's, you know, a reboot twenty years later would be a very different show. And you know, I come back to what I was saying back in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, uh, mistakenly as it turned out, when Doctor Who was starting to, you know, it was starting to be known that it was coming back, and I was a little bit cynical. I said, "Why spend all this money?" Recreating something, go and make the next Doctor Who. Go and make the next Babylon Five. Now, I proved to be wrong with with new Doctor Who. It's been a very good and successful series, but I still stand by that. Why? Why make a new B five? Go and make the new version of B five. Go and make a new Firefly. Go and make a new you know whatever. Make a new series. Create a new series.
0: Yeah. Well, look. The same could be said for a lot of Hollywood films. Last night I saw they've remade Heather's. I thought, why do you need to remake Heather's? The original is a classic.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. And um, mm. look, look, we are in an era now where uh, the television and particularly the film industry is very much geared at people who have fond memories of the 90s and are now cashed up and willing to spend money to remember, oh, you know, like like Sabrina the Teenage Witch is getting a new lease of life. So that's meant to appeal to everybody who's sort of my age, maybe your age, Rob, who went home from school, and, you know, went home from high school and watched a bit of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and goes gee i'd love to feel like i was you know a teenager again and young and
0: nostalgic
1: Mm. and i'll go spend money and subscribe to sabrina the teenage witch or i'll go and see beauty and the beast remade at the cinemas or whatever the case may be
0: and sadly folks it doesn't happen like that (laughs) even when i watch doctor who today even when i watch a really enjoyable episode it's not the same as watching it as a 10 year old in 1985 it's just not
1: no and it never will be and Nostalgia can be a wonderfully fun thing to do as long as you keep it in perspective.
0: Yeah, exactly right.
1: And I think it's fair to say Ian Levine is not keeping it in perspective.
0: (laughs) It's unusual for him.
1: And we love him for it. What what else would we talk about?
0: Exactly. Shall we move on?
1: We should move on, because we've got a lot to talk about on that topic this time,
0: Rob. We, we do, we do. I have an iTunes review, or an Apple podcast, I think they call it these days. Uh, this is from the Australian section of the website. It's from someone called SDR9. Thank you so much. The title is A Ripper Little Podcast, and the comment goes thus. I love this podcast. As an Aussie, I love having an Australian take on Doctor Who that's not just focused on the world's best show, but covers a wide range of other related subjects too. They review other sci-fi that Whovians may relate to, even the latest Star Wars, plus submit a plethora of Doctor Who-related snippets such as the brilliant You and Who talking and Random Fandom, well, R.I.P. Random Fandom, we don't have that anymore, uh, to name a few – The hosts are well spoken and what I admire most is that even at their most critical, they never attack or berate the show they obviously love. This podcast is a celebration of Doctor Who and, dare I say it, a loving, passionate embrace to all things geeky and nerdy. Dave, are you embracing your geekiness and nerdiness?
1: I'm putting my arms around everything geeky and nerdy.
0: Yes, me too. So, thank you so much, SDR9. That sounds like a droid sort of designation, doesn't it, from Star (laughs) Wars or something.
1: (laughs) Uh, yes, probably sitting in the co- cockpit of a uh, wing or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you have a uh, a comment on the podcast, we'd love you to, to write it on iTunes or, as I say, Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it this week.
1: Yes, thank you. That's a very kind review. We appreciate it.
0: Mm. Now, Dave, it's time to move on to our feature.
1: Yep, no mini topics this week. We're moving straight into our feature topic this week because it is a doozy.
0: Yeah, well... You say doozy, I thought we'd start with something small and non-controversial.
1: Uh, well, yes, of <laughs> course.
0: <laughs> uh, as long promised, we want to look at Russell T. Davis versus the Moff, and I guess the reason we're doing this now is that the Moffat era has just ended.
1: It is, so it's time to take a bit of a look back. And And I think, I think rather than just talk about the Moffat era in isolation, let's talk about the whole of the new series and where the Moffat era fits in, how it contrasts. Hopefully that'll tease out a slightly more uh, useful discussion than just talking about him in solo.
0: Yeah, exactly So or, although we're, we're plugging this as, you know, RTD versus them off And it's a boxing match or something <laughs> We really do want to do this, you know, seriously And go through each uh, series Talk about any stories that stand out Ones that maybe don't Give each series an overall score And tic-tac between, you know, Russell's first and Stevens first And Russell's second, Stevens second, and so on and so forth And uh, just see where we end up at the end of the discussion
1: Yeah, I think so, I think so
0: because mm, I know where I end up, and it surprised me.
1: Yeah, I've got a very difficult final final thought, uh, and I'm not sure if it'll be the same when I get to the end
0: of this. Okay. Shall we begin? We, we should. So
1: I, I, I've made a lot of notes here, Rob, about each individual series and how they compare and how we look back, but I was really interested, I want to say this right at the top, that there are a number of threads, both positive and negative, that I thought... Th- go through the whole of new doctor who birth both both davies and moffat mm-hmm. insofar as they're both incredibly engaging they're both incredibly lasting i mean let's face it we're going into a, what an 11th series of a tv show yeah and it's still performing you know relatively well has it lost some viewers over the course of um 12 13 years well it has obviously but it's still powering on and that, that's a very effective thing at its best, both of the eras can absolutely kick you in the guts yep. and, and you know really enjoy it. On the other hand, there's two things that both eras share that really do annoy me. One is the romance that's been brought into the show. I know I'm an old-school fan of this. I know I'm a grumpy old guy in terms of this, but I don't want the Doctor to be a romantic or sexual character. That mm. is something that was introduced by Russell T. Davies and continued by Stephen Moffat, and that's an uh, X mark, in my view, against both the eras. As is this worship of and an, an knowing worship of the Doctor. And reflecting back upon uh, Twice Upon a Time Rob, we both sort of made comment as a number of other podcasters did about this overly long and grandiose final speech that Capaldi had. Mm. And I was reflecting about the classic series and it occurred to me that of all the classic series Doctors, only two actually get what you would call proper last lines. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them's Pertwee and his last line, A tear, Sarah Jane, while there's life there's dot dot. Yep. dot. Yep. That, that that is actually, you know, a wonderful reflection of one of his catchphrases, one of his recurring themes of his era. And that's quite nice. Tom is the only one that gets what you'd actually call a, a let's sit down and formally give this guy a final line. You know, it is the end but the moment has been prepared for. They have clearly workshopped that as a final last words for the fourth doctor. Yeah. And I reckon that's the only time in this classic era where they've done that. One time.
0: Yeah, I mean, Davo gets, is this death, but he sort of says it as he's falling down, I think, and it, it's not really, the focus isn't really on him as he says it.
1: No, and his last last line is actually Adric. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, You know, we've got characters, characters, characters for Colin, which wasn't intended, but that's how it ended up. Uh, thank you, it's good, keep warm for the first Doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no no you're making me giddy no 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 from patrick trout like you know nobody sits down and says well they're their last words that's really good it's just just how the story went yeah yet for new doctor who there's this real sense of we're making something that is important and it's special therefore we have to have scripted first lines and scripted last lines and people have to be referencing all the time how wonderful the doctor is and how armies cower at the sign of his name and you're too good to die and Mm-hmm. That 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 is something again introduced by Davies, repeated by Moffat, and again is a big cross across both the areas for me. So I kind of want to get those big things out of the way before we go in into this in any any further depth.
0: Yeah, look, and I'd say on on the lovey dovey scale, to me, in and of itself. I can live with it Even though it's very different to the classic era But what I find it does And this is why I I still don't like it Is that it paints the Doctor into a corner Because his companions are only going to be around for a year or two Is each companion going to be the love of his life? And if they're not the love of his life, then what? What are they? Are they a casual shag? You know. And if it's going to happen with each companion, does this make him sort of James Bond, like every woman he comes across or every man now perhaps is going to be, you know, a conquest? It it just doesn't fit, and it just paints you into that corner. You know, it needs to be sort of broken somehow. Maybe it'll be broken with Jody. Maybe Jody will be very asexual. Perhaps. I, I. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Who Who knows? Um. And and yeah, there are variations on a theme. There's the requited love. There's the unrequited love. There's the Wistful love, love, whatever. I, I, it doesn't work for me. Both are guilty of it. Um, so you know, let's let's flush that out and put that on the table before we start contrasting.
0: Yeah, you you don't have to be in love with someone to, to work closely with them. I've worked closely with many people over many years, and um, I've not shagged any of them. So <laughs> no,
1: know. and I mean you know you, you you can look at the bond between the Fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane, and that is a wonderful bond. But as he says, she's my best friend it's the bond of a best friend.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, so shall we rip into RTD's first series, Dave?
1: Yeah, look, let's do that. And we've got down here a list of all the stories, the authors, the directors, and a number of statistics that go with them. One thing I'm going to preface and say is that I was really interested in looking at the AI figures. Now, I'm, I'm a bit dubious about the validity and usefulness of AI figures, but mm. they are a constant figure. And across all 10 seasons of Doctor Who and all the specials, there are only five AI scores that are not in the
0: 80s. Yeah, it's very high.
1: Yeah, three of them are in the 70s and two of them are in the 90s. So only twice has Doctor Who gone above the 80s and only three times has it gone below. That's incredibly, incredibly stable, and I will highlight those five episodes as we get to them.
0: Mm. I'll kick off with this series by saying I'd forgotten how many episodes of it RTD had actually written yes when I looked down the list I thought oh holy hell like I I knew obviously he wrote some but he wrote heaps in this first series more than you'd expect a showrunner to
1: it is an incredible feat and I still have the first season right up there as possibly my favorite of the new series season 10 may have beaten it I, I don't know I need season 10 to really settle in the in the mind before I, I go there and, and actually compare them but This is a phenomenally good season. I mean, Rose is... It is a masterclass in how to start a new series that links back to an old series. It is a masterclass.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is. Look, it's one of my middling episodes. When I look at the series overall, I sort of colour-coded these, Dave, into sort of green for ones I really like, red for ones I don't, and yellow for ones in the middle. Yeah, I I, I did did the same
1: at your suggestion. And yes, it's yellow for me in terms of would i sit down and watch this and think it's great it's, it's a middling episode but as a technical episode to introduce a series introduces to the doctor introduces to the companion the style the tone of the series it, it is an incredible feat and I, I was really impressed by how many green episodes i had in this i've got seven of the 13 as being really top episodes that i really enjoy snap (laughs) there you go
0: (laughs) yeah I look down the list of like Unquiet Dead Dalek Father's Day Empty Child Doctor Dancers Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways they're all green for me
1: yeah and and for me as well and I've only got three red
0: same Aliens of London World War 3 and The Long Game (laughs) I I actually had Aliens of London World War 3 and Boomtown interesting okay Boomtown I didn't like originally, but on re-watches I kind of really got into that sort of conversation where the doctor's in the uh, restaurant with uh, the Slovene and they're having that conversation. And that sort of elevates it for me, that moment.
1: Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, it is amazing how watchable this, this is. I mean, Dalek, Dalek was the episode where I suddenly realised this series is going to be great and I'm going to be sticking with it for the long term. Up mm. until then, I was I was respectful of the series. You know, I watched Rose and I thought that's a very good episode. I watched End of the World and thought, look, it's not a great episode, but I, I, it's a really good second episode to kind of show how fantastic the series can be. Unquiet Dead was okay. Aliens of London, World War Three, I really struggled with. But I was sort of going, look, you know, this isn't a bad series. I'm not sure it's for me, though. Mm. I watched Dalek and thought this series is, for me, and I'm going to be with this series for a long time.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think for a lot of old fans, that's that's the one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. But we also need to mention The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, which I think a lot of people would have as their favourite story from that season. And, of course, it's Stephen Moffat's first entry into Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He'd been, uh, obviously, in Doctor Who fandom and, you know, on the periphery for such a long time, and he finally gets to write the show, and he just comes out swinging. It's just brilliant.
1: It is, and the way that all the elements in both that story and this series work is really fundamentally Doctor Who-ish in its nature. You've got fantastic voyages into the future. You've got pointed voyages into the past. You've got good contemporary stuff, And, and RTD does dial up that contemporary nature a lot more to make it more accessible to a mainstream audience, and I think here you see what I think is Russell's greatest success is that he made Doctor Who a mainstream, mass audience, cultural phenomenon once again. Some of the things you had to do to get there are stuff that doesn't always sit well with me. And I can remember a few of us sitting down back in 2005, watching it going, gee, some of these soap opera elements, they're not really what I like in TV. But we knew that because they were there, Doctor Who wasn't a niche little show, it was a mainstream show, and we, we swallowed it.
0: Yeah, no, very clever stuff. Interestingly, I'll point out, out of these seven episodes I really like, only two of them, though, are actually RTD episodes. He's, he's written some of my yellows and some of my reds. Yes,
1: that is true. It's a very, very mixed thing. Uh, we also need to mention that uh, one of our three AIs that drop below 80 is in this series, and that's The End of the World, which got a 79.
0: Yeah, almost there, but not quite.
1: Not quite. But <laughs> that was the only dip in, in terms of quality, and it goes up to an 89 for Parting of the Ways.
0: Yeah, Overall, what would you give the the series out of 10, Dave? Uh,
1: by breaking all the episodes and averaging them, which is what I've done for all of them, I gave this a 6.9.
0: Okay, I gave it an
1: 8. Yeah, I'm really disappointed by my 6.9 because I gave three stories a 10.
0: Wow, so you gave some really low scores as well.
1: I also gave a couple of threes and a 2. So, um, yeah, I've got a 9, I've got an 8, I've got 3.10. So I thought the best of this was really, really good. The worst of it was actually quite low. And, and I, I want to be clear at the start, listeners. I've decided if we've got a scale out of 10, I'm using the entire scale. So I'm grading on a curve, if you like, for, for Doctor Who on this, this, this episode.
0: Gotcha. It sounds like we're doing things slightly differently. I I looked at the series overall and thought, what is my vibe on this series? Rather than individual scores, What what is my sense of the whole series? So even though there's some duff stuff... I still think this is like an 8 out of 10 series overall.
1: Yeah, my gut feeling would actually sit well with you. It's an 8 or even a 9 out of 10 overall. Mm. When I break it down, though, there's lots of 10s, but as I say, there's some 2s and 3s. So. But, but a fantastic start, and, and really, as I say, it sets up the series for a great future. We wouldn't be here today with, if this series hadn't been what it
0: was. Exactly right. Shall we move on to Moffat's first?
1: We should, we should.
0: Now, Dave, I often say Smithy's first series, and this is matt smith's first series was his best and maybe it was moffat's best too it gets a little skewed for me at the start because after a really good you know first episode there's stuff like beast below and victory of the daleks my god i was panicking about what week four might bring Mm. but but only vampires of venice really drops the ball later on completely for me hungry earth and cold blood are sort of middling But everything else here, I find really solid for different reasons. And I really enjoy... I think this is... I think this is peak Moffat.
1: I'm going to half agree with you, Rob. Mm -hmm. I agree that this is Smith's best series. I don't agree that it is Moffat's best series. Interesting. we're going to... I'm going to flag a bit of a spoiler to come. I still struggle to assess the Moffat era... As one homogenous era of six series, I I feel very differently about the Smith era as I do about the Capaldi era, and that's a theme that I'm going to be coming back to. Of the Smith slash Moffat era, I agree that this is his best. I've got one ten in there. I've got a couple of eights. The lowest I've got is one three, and that's and then after that I've got a bunch of fives. So it's 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 actually not bad. I agree with you. It is it is a surprisingly weak start. Um, Beast below and Victory of the Daleks are really not very good and i don't think i've aged very well either
0: Mm. Um, and you and you know that that radio times um interview with moffat that i was mentioning earlier uh where he's talking about what he would have done with tenet had he continued there's also a segment of that interview where he says you know we we made the daleks you know huge oh how crazy was that so i think he even acknowledges now that victory of the daleks and the way they remodeled them and all that stuff was just a bit silly
1: i think that there was a feeling there of a real desire, not in a malicious way, but a desire to stamp the Moffat era over the top of the show and and show that you know there's a new team in town. Like any shop when they get a new management and they want to put a big sign out the front, you know, under new management, doing things differently. Mm. And, and that's okay. As I say, I don't think it's a malicious thing. So the exterior of the TARDIS is redesigned. The interior of the TARDIS is redesigned. The music is all changed. Various other things have changed. And I think that changing the Daleks was an extension of that, and a bridge too far.
0: Absolutely.
1: However, script-wise, it's a really classy moment because one of the things that I think doesn't work in the RTD era is this idea of, the Daleks have been completely wiped out. Oh, apart from that one over there. But now they've been completely wiped out. Oh, apart from those ones there. Oh, but now they've been completely wiped out. <laughs> apart from the three in that little container. Oh, but now they've been completely wiped. Like, that yeah. was getting a bit tiresome. So for Moffat to just go, right... Okay, the Daleks are back. At the end of this episode, the Daleks are back. We can just get on with it. I think it was a really sensible decision. And I give him props for that. I also give him props for this being a really easy series to watch. I could put on most of these episodes. Um, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, Amy's Choice, Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, Vincent and the Doctor, that's my 10. Uh, the Lodger, not great but fun. Like These mm. are episodes I could very happily just sit down and watch and enjoy and and not be too tested by them and I think that's a really good Moffat sign
0: yeah look I agree I I look at something like Vincent the Doctor and The Lodger and they're both green for me but they're green for completely different reasons yeah
1: I can respect that yeah we also have here though the first sign of something where I struggle with Moffat and that is the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang I think the Big Bang is very very clever And certainly, I remember when I was first watching the start of that, where you have all the stuff with the Doctor flitting back and forth through time, handing out different props and things to different people in different times, so that everything moves forward. Really clever. And in a self-contained place, whether it's that or whether it's Blink, which we'll talk about later, that cleverness, that wonderful timey-wimey stuff Movata does, is really, really good. However, there's bigger picture stuff in those episodes that I still don't understand, I can't, I'm not sure now if Rory is still an Auton at the end of this story. I'm still not sure exactly why the TARDIS blew up in the Big Bang mm-hmm. and, and what this crack thing was. Like, Sorry, I know what the crack thing was. It's the damage to the time-space vortex caused by the TARDIS blowing up. I don't understand why the TARDIS blew up and I don't buy why it came back.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, if you, if you go out there and get into Wikipedia and dig through and go through everything line by line, you can sort of cobble something together. But I know what you mean. Just watching it, it can wash over you very easily.
1: Yeah, it can. Um, as I say, there's some really clever stuff in there. I actually really like River Song in Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. I think that's probably her strongest two-parter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the uh, the head of the... Um, they're, they're, they're sort of monks or priests, aren't they, those soldiers?
1: Uh, yes, the the space clerics or whatever they were. Yeah,
0: yeah. I thought that was a really sort of fun concept too.
1: It is. And again, taken there, it's a really good piece of Moffatism because I can see now that that is the start of a very anti-military thread that would run through the Moffat era that, that I actually find a bit distasteful at some points. Mm, that is true. Uh, that That now, with hindsight... I can see that's the start of a trend I didn't like. But I liked it at the time. I thought it was fresh and original. I liked Riverstone at this point. I thought she was fresh, original, clever, really good. So a lot of the things that maybe I'm going to get a little bit stale on, spoilers, as we go on, (laughs) I'm actually really enjoying in Moffat's first series. And I think, again, he's got a really watchable first series. Like RTD's got an incredibly watchable first series.
0: Yeah, look, I I have the three stories I've marked out in red, just like I have for the start of RTD's era, but there is more green here than RTD's first uh, series. So if we're ready to score them, Dave?
1: Uh, Well, I gave it a six, and I actually think that's probably about right, six or seven. Um, I had the same number of red stories, but I had slightly fewer green. I -hmm. had less low scores, but I also had less nines and tens.
0: Okay, well, listeners, keep in mind I'm scoring in a different way to Dave. I give this a 9 out of 10 uh, because it it has more green than RTD's first series, which I think is a legit 8 out of 10. So this has got to be a 9 for me.
1: Okay, you see, I have it as if I was giving it just on gut feel and I said that Series 1 was maybe an 8, I I would have this at maybe a 7, 7.5. I think it's just a little bit below. I don't think it hits the peaks quite as often. But they're both really fun, enjoyable stor- seasons that I enjoyed watching.
0: Mm. All right. Let's move on to uh, Davey's second series. Yes.
1: The Difficult Second Album.
0: Yeah, that's right. Difficult Second Album Syndrome, as they call it. What, or, or what's the other expression they have Americans say? Is it the Sophomore Album?
1: The Sophomore Album, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. But... By God, he knocks this out of the park. This series comes out swinging. I like the first four episodes, again, for different reasons to each other. But when I, you know, got to marking these in green and red and yellow, the first four are green for me. Um, And then it dips a bit with the Cybermen story. I'm not too fussed on Idiot's Lantern either. But then it picks up again only to go into a bizarre fortnight of love and monsters and fear her and then it picks up again (laughs) so uh, i guess what i'm trying to say is after a great start this series isn't perfect it goes up and down a bit but it's it's pretty damn good and no wonder it rated it rated its ass off
1: it did regularly getting eight nine millions right through most of the run um sixes in a few places uh interestingly enough it does have our second occasion when the ai's dropped below uh, 80 and in fact I believe, just let me scroll ahead
0: It's the one you're thinking of
1: No, no, I was going to say it, it is actually Doctor's lowest AI scores to date And mm-hmm. that is that is Love and Monsters with 76
0: Yeah, which surprisingly isn't for me a red story As some people might think, because a lot of people just hate that I actually found it quite amusing and got into the spirit of it It's never going to be a great story for me, but it's, it's middling
1: Yeah, I'm middling on that one too I, I, I agree, there's some fun stuff in there You need to take it in the right way For it to work, I don't think it's ever going to be a classic. But I'm I'm actually very different to you on this season, Rob. I really felt that Davies dropped the ball with this season. And looking at it, there's only four episodes that I've given a green to, and two of them are one story: the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, Mm -hmm. um, along with School Reunion and the Idiot's Lantern. There's a lot there that I just didn't quite like. Um, There's only two I've got in red which is Fear Her and The Runaway Bride, which we're cobbling on to the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But the problem I had here was I thought that the overall tone of the series was unbalanced. Having got the balance perfectly right in his first series, he he turned the dial on a few things up and down, and I think it did fall out of balance. The Doctor-Rose relationship, I, I thought, was absolutely awful. And I've said this before, I understand the concept of we're going to make them incredibly arrogant and annoying and there'll be a payoff in episode 13. Yeah. Well, that's fine, but for 12 episodes, they're just arrogant and annoying, and you don't go back and go, oh, well, I'll change my feeling watching those, knowing that they're going to come up and see in episode 13. It's just 12 episodes of them being annoying, and that, to me, really was a drag on the season. I also felt that it wasn't quite as original. You know, New Earth isn't quite as original and as exciting as End of the World. Tooth and Claw isn't quite as good as The Unquiet Dead. Uh, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. I thought, having got the Daleks so right,
0: yeah. he
1: got the Cybermen so wrong.
0: <laughs> but that that's not uncommon in Doctor Who. I think everyone gets the Cybermen so wrong.
1: It, it is true. It is true. But gee, he did it badly here. Oh gee. And then Army of Ghosts, Doomsday. I I get why it resonates with some fans, but I think you need to be watching it in a certain way to have it resonate and it didn't with me because Mm -hmm. if your primary interest in doctor who is the emotional beats then i think you get a lot out of this series if you're more of a plot character driven person like i am then you you don't because i think take away the emotional beats from army of ghosts and doomsday there's actually not a lot there
0: yeah now that, that, that's quite fair and it's it's just such a shame i'm just looking at some of these uh, viewing figures that the lowest rated in this series is impossible planet and satan pit which i think is the the high point of, of that series uh watched by the least amount of people
1: yeah it's always funny how ratings work isn't it and there sometimes there's no wrong reason to them and sometimes it's just it's just trends you know mid-series dips are not uncommon
0: yeah okay so it seems like we're a bit different on this one what's your series score overall
1: Uh, So, again, lots of mixed scores, two nines in there, um, a number of fours, uh, only one one, which was the Runaway Bride, which drags it it down. I gave it a five and a half.
0: Okay. I'm giving it an eight out of ten, which is the same as RTD's first series. I totally take on board. They are different series. There's a different feel. There's a different vibe. There's a different doctor uh, going on. But they sort of shake out the same for me in terms of stories I like. Middling stories, bad stories. So uh, I'm throwing 8 out of 10 at it.
1: Yeah, no, even on Vibe, there's a definite drop in quality for me in Series 2. Okay. Which brings us to the Moffat 2nd series. Yes. Uh, <laughs> look, let me, let me just preface this by saying this was the season where I stopped watching Doctor Who for a while. Is that right? Yeah, it... it I thought The Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon weren't bad. Not great, but weren't bad. Then there were a number of episodes where I thought weren't that great. Uh, The Rebel Flesh Part 1, I hated so much I didn't watch the Rebel Flesh Part 2. So that's the first time ever that I've just gone, you know what? I'm not watching Part 2 of this. I'm really not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. A Good Man Goes to War, I thought, was just everything I didn't like about Doctor Who. It was was just anti-Doctor Who for me. It was this... Big convoluted thing uh, with lots of emotional beats that don't really make sense. Uh, lots of the doctor's so good that he just has to threaten them, and they give him. Oh, oh, I didn't like it. There was the mid-series break, yep. and I thought, okay, you look maybe maybe I'm being a bit down on this. I, I can go away. I can refresh myself. It came back with "Let's Kill Hitler," <laughs> and that was it for me, Rob. I just thought, you know what? I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm going to stop watching it. Now, six months later, when we sort of got to the quiet Australian summer, I did sort of watch an episode every couple of weeks for a while and got to the end of the series because I I have seen it all, but I'm sorry, this series broke me.
0: Wow. Well, look, I I had such high hopes for this series uh, myself. Uh, It starts well and imaginatively. I, I, I really like Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. I think that's doing some fun stuff. But then it does that awful Pirates episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember at the time, it just sucked all the tension out of what was happening in the wider arc. We just had two stories where big stuff was happening. This was clearly going to be the arc for the season. And then we just go off on this tangent and we have this silly Pirates story that's just awful. It then, of course, swung back a week later with The Doctor's Wife, which I absolutely loved. And I think, on the whole, most fans really quite like but then it just goes into a run of middling episodes for me. Yeah, Rebel Flesh, Almost People, Middling, Good Man Goes to War, Let's Kill Hitler. I've got those as middling episodes, not terrible episodes. Oh, okay. But then something like Night Terrors is just horrible. It picks up again a bit. You know, Girl Who Waited, I actually quite like. I don't like the Amy character, but ironically, stories around her, like Amy's Choice and The Girl Who Waited, I, I quite like. Um, the God Complex, I think, is particularly good. And Closing Time, because I had fond feelings for what they did last time with um, with James Corden, I, I give that a pass to um, Wedding of River song, Dr. Widow and the wardrobe, not so good. So, uh, yeah, for me, the wheels have really fallen off compared to the RTD series we've just spoken about, compared to the Moffat series we've spoken about. Here, hmm, no, the wheels the wheels have fallen off.
1: And, and it's important to say at this point that I know there are a lot of fans out there, particularly fans who came to the series with the new series, who actually rate this as their favourite season? So we would be completely remiss if we didn't acknowledge that and, and try and understand why. And and I had a real insight once I was listening to the Blue Box podcast talk about some of these things. Mm-hmm. And someone had written in to, laugh me, I can't remember who, and and they read this. Letter and that Matt Barber sort of went on and explained a bit further. And they talked about how when they watch a Moffat episode, they watch it once just to let the emotional beats flow over them and let them feel the emotion and and the happiness and the sorrow and then they go back and watch it a little little bit more technically and they don't really care what the plot is and i think that there are very different personalities in the world you know you look at myers-briggs personalities you know introverts and extroverts and sensing versus feeling and judging and all that sort of thing and i think that comes into play in this if you're somebody who watches tv particularly doctor who looking for emotional beats and looking to be sort of swept away and you know, maybe shed a tear and all the rest of that. I, I get why Series Six means a lot to you, and, and and can I can I use as a test example the girl who waited? Mm, sure. I totally understand how if you're somebody who buys into the emotion of the girl who waited, that would be an extraordinarily powerful episode for you and all power to you. I don't buy into the emotional the emotion of it. In fact, when when I watched at the end of it, I had. Um, do you remember when Ron Howard was a guest star in The Simpsons, Rob? Oh, vaguely. And at the end, it ends with him doing this big pitch meeting with some Hollywood producers. And every pitch he has is, and it all ends in a big emotional crescendo when he has yes. to decide if his best friend lives or dies.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And I was about 10 minutes into The Girl Who Waited, and I was just sitting there going, okay, I'm going to sit here for 42 minutes, and at the end, it's all going to move into a big emotional crescendo when the Doctor has to decide if the Amy clone lives or dies,
0: <laughs> and you know
1: which decision he's going to make, and I, I, I could see it coming. I'm like, don't manipulate me, you bastards! don't yeah. don't, don't be cynical. Give me a good plot, and and it, it fell flat for me. So,
0: that's interesting because it is actually the plot that I like in the girl who waited. I think there's a there's a real sci-fi element to. To you know, leaving someone behind and having their mage, and you can't get back to them. Then there's another version of them getting around, and all of this. That that's kind of the part of that story I liked more so than the Amy running in slow motion, and she's now a master with the katana, and you know and all this yeah. sort of stuff. I I I don't actually buy into all that. I I actually just like the the sci-fi ness of the story, if there's if that's a word.
1: Yeah, I, I get it, and and this is the interesting thing. I think a lot of Davie's work kind of is a very... I think a lot of Davie's work is consumed at one pitch and at one level, no matter who you are. Yeah. Moffat's work, I think, does work for different people in very different ways based on your personality. And I think that, as I said, something that can be an absolute surefire hit for one person is a complete miss for somebody else. And, and that's a really interesting way to write. It's not a bad way to write, but let's face it, Moffat's second season is controversial i have many friends who think it's terrible as well i know people though who think it's the best series ever and it's amazing it's extraordinary you know you could do some real research on how there is such a divergence in this but as i say it is the season that broke me
0: yeah, well look, I'll, I'll go first with score This time around, I'm giving the lowest score I've given thus far Which is a 7 out of 10 And that's earned through stuff like Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon A great Doctor's Wife is fantastic I love the girl who waited God Complex is fantastic And, you know, closing time's not bad either You know, so it, it does enough to, to sort of scratch its way to a 7 But certainly there's there's a sea of yellow in this uh, in this list for me <laughs>
1: Yeah, look, I'm I'm very down on this series. Um I'm sorry to those who are fans. I I hope I've explained my rationale for it. Um but I've only got a few sixes in these as my top scores, a number of ones, so it comes out at three and a half, and frankly I I think that summarizes my feelings about this season quite adequately. Um I hope as I say, I hope I've explained why I feel that way.
0: Mm. No, I think you have moving on to RTD's third series um, for me this one starts on a middling sort of episode I think Smith and Jones is a bit ordinary It picks up a bit with Shakespeare code and gridlock uh, but then we get into that god-awful Daleks two-parter and then stuff like the Lazarus experiment and 42 which are both yellow for me and I was a bit disappointed watching this series up until that point what's that week one two three four five six about week seven. I was in week seven thinking, oh, I don't think this is very good. But then it comes home on a wet sail, at least for me, Dave. Human nature, family of blood, blink, utopia, sound of drums, last of the time lords. What a wet sail to come home on.
1: I was fascinated coming back to do my assessment of this season. Interestingly enough, it's the only season that I didn't see going out on a weekly basis. It actually coincided with when I was doing my recruit training in the Air Force, at officer training school, so I, I didn't get to sit down and watch television in the evening, and so I'd I sort of you know get copies from you know sent up from home every so often with you know here's another three episodes of the latest Doctor Who series. And when I had a moment, I'd sit down and watch one. So I have a very strange memory of watching this. My memory of this season is it was the best season ever. Wow. Then I sat down and actually looked at it, and I haven't got a single green bit of color until past the halfway mark. And, in fact, I've got several Red stories before that. Daleks of Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks, abysmal. The Lazarus Experiment, terrible. 42, Mm. you know, kind of flat. Gridlock, meh. Shakespeare code, meh. Smith and Jones, meh. It's actually, for half the series, it's actually kind of appalling.
0: It sounds like I'm a little more forgiving, but we're on the same path here.
1: Yeah, look, appalling's a strong word. There's watchable stuff in there, but it's not brilliant. Hmm. The thing is that it's got that run of, I think, maybe four maybe five episodes depending on how you feel. As you say, human nature, family of blood, that's still my favourite Doctor Who story in the new series ever. Yeah. Blink, it's a classic, it would be in my top five news stories, no doubt. Utopia would be my top ten, no doubt. That is a brilliant story. Sound of drums, again, really engaging. When I watched that the first time, not knowing what was going on, and you know John Simms' Master's great and the plots unveiling and he's winning and it's exciting. And yeah, there's there's a Group of five episodes there that I just think are brilliant, all tens and nines for me. Yeah. Last of the Time Lords I think dips down. I gave it an eight. I could easily have give, given it a seven. It's it's got.
0: It's got the Doctor as Christ.
1: It's got the Doctor as Christ, and it's also <laughs> got this. It it is kind of the apotheosis of the Russell T Davies Deus ex Machina feeling good and love solves the day thing where. You know, because everybody chants the Doctor's name and says the Doctor's f- awesome, uh, the Master <laughs> loses his power. Like, okay, I get there's a satellite network going on there, but come on, get your hand yeah. off it.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Davies, Davies doesn't write good endings. And he, he never has. Queer as Folk, that has a terrible ending. Uh, the Second Coming, wonderful telemovie, great for 90% of it, terrible ending. Yeah. And this series, yeah, as you say, comes home on a wet sail, but that last 15 minutes of Last of the Time Lords, that is some of Davey's worst. He cannot land the ending.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think that, that's a fair comment. And it sounds like we're broadly in sync with this series, you know, ordinary first half comes home pretty well, though. Um, oh, it comes
1: home bloody well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and of course we're we're including Christmas specials here. I'll just say, Voyage of the Damned was was a yellow for me. I I don't particularly enjoy it. It's almost a red.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably where I where I am as well. Um, yellow bordering red. I enjoyed it at the time. I'm never going to go back and watch it again though. It's it's mm. harmless. It's fun, but it's kind of stupid, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So look, series score overall. This will seem high. I actually jotted down here an 8 out of 10, and that's largely because the second half of the series is great. And in the first half, I did give Shakespeare Code and Gridlock a pass and marked them as green. Uh, This one, I'm feeling a bit iffy, though, looking at it, thinking "Mm, maybe it's a wee bit high compared to what I've been looking at as other 8s out of 10.
1: Yeah, I gave it a a 6.5, which is what the maths came to. That's really hard. It's a really hard season to score. Because it's got some brilliant stuff, it's also got some weak stuff that drags the average down. I gave out three tens and two nines with this series.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You're looking at a series with Human Nature, Family Blood, and Blink in it, and thinking, "Oh, that's a six out of ten series." So, what? So,
1: <laughs> but, but, so let me ask you, Rob. Let me ask you the key question: Overall, is RTD's third better or weaker than his second and his first?
0: It's it's certainly not better than his first or second. Probably closer to his second.
1: You see, I actually think it's clearly better than his second.
0: Is that right?
1: And for a long time I thought it was his best ever. It's only as I've gone back and looked back at them in a bit more detail that I've really started to appreciate the first series and and, and put that above it. I I still think that his third series is a return to form, even if it takes a while to get there. And it's some of it look at some of his best work.
0: Yeah. Okay, well maybe I don't feel so bad with the score I've given it then. (laughs)
1: Yeah, interesting, but it is it is a tough series to to assess, and, and let's face it, by the time you're getting into a third series, you are starting to get into not a slog, but definitely a grind. You've got to come back and do it all again. Uh, you know, you've had your first album, you're very excited. It's you know, it's done. You've got your di- difficult second album. Now you get into like we're doing this every year,
0: mm.
1: which sets up the Moff's third season, which is season seven overall.
0: Nice segue. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, this was of course look really this really should be two series like yes they were it was broadcast in two separate separate chunks over two different years uh, because there were budget issues and I, I suspect when we get the Richard Marsden book on the Moffat era knowing exactly what happened with the budget and the production of series 7 will be a fascinating story
0: oh that will be a great book to read
1: yeah it'll be a great book to read even generally but I think particularly around series 7 there's some really interesting stuff going on about how it Really, it should be Series 7 should have been the first six or seven up to Snowman. And then Series 8 should actually be Bells of St. John through the name of the Doctor. Mm. But we call it all Season 7 because otherwise you'd have Ian Levine going, They've cut the series by 50%. How dare they?
0: <laughs> and you know what? I think if Moffat reverts to type and reverts to the kind of you know Doctor Who fan he was, 20-odd years ago when he'd get around online saying things to fanzines like, oh, no-one could act in the heart and the ear or, you know, a lot yeah. of Doctor was crap and all of this. If he refers to type, he might come out and reveal a lot of this stuff a lot sooner than we think. You know, fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, that'd be good. How do you rate this series, Rob?
0: This series, Dave, when I look at visually what I've got, I've got a couple of greens to kick off this, a couple of greens towards the end, and the middle is a sea of red and a sea of yellow. mm this is the series that I know people instantly bag, but I was curious to go back and look at it again to see if that was right or whether I don't know, there was something I could maybe pull out of the wreckage. Not to be contrary, but just to see if there was something more to it now that some time has gone by and I can look at it more objectively. But yeah, it's not all that great. <laughs> you know, several of the episodes I flag as being the good ones, I know are controversial. Like I I quite rate the Crimson Horror. I know people who don't like that I quite rate dinosaurs on a spaceship I was horrified by that title when I first heard it but the story itself was harmless and pulling together that team of you know people from across history bonkers but fun you know and I took it in the way it was intended so you know there's some of the ones I give you know a a green light to literally um but the rest Dave you know yellow red it's it's there's not a lot to recommend this um Yeah,
1: (laughs) So I said that Series 6 was the one that broke me. In in effect, I broke up with Doctor Who. Series 7, The Moffat's Third, is the series of, for me, okay, look, we've had a really good relationship for so long. Let's not end it. Let's try again and see if we can make this work. Oh, dear. And slowly falling in love with the series again. Really? Not because I think it's a brilliant season, but I just think it's an enjoyable season. Asylum of the Daleks is flawed but enjoyable. I think Dinosaurs on a Spaceship is a lot of fun.
0: We're both on the same page with those two. Yep,
1: A Town Called Mercy, a lot of fun. Power mm-hmm. of Three, a lot of fun for two-thirds, and then it just is an absolute nonsense of a finish. Yeah. Angels Take Manhattan, a lot of fun for two-thirds, a nonsense of a finish. So, so you know, those five episodes kind of just got me back into Doctor Who. I don't think they're classics, but it's very easy to watch. Much like Moffat's first series, I, I don't think it's quite as good. I don't think there's as many good stories there, but I do think they're both very straightforward to watch. Second half, mixed feelings. The snowman I actually thought was pretty terrible, and I fell asleep for a large part of it. <laughs> um, I woke up just in time for somebody's crying to be bringing people back to life and thought, no, I'm not going to go back and watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I had slept through about 15 minutes, bearing in mind, folks, I watched this on Boxing Day after a very long Christmas A day at the cricket and feeling very, you know, tired and, you know, about 40 degrees temperature. So that's why I fell asleep. Um, It did mean, though, that in the Bells of St. John, when the Great Intelligence, as played by Richard E. Grant, suddenly rocks up, I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Why why is Richard E. Grant suddenly back? (laughs) Um, But again, like a kind of fun story. Rings of Akatani is bloody terrible. It's awful. it's, It's a great setup followed by 10 minutes of the Doctor with his hand on his c- reciting a story to a giant fantasy pumpkin in the sky. It's bloody awful. Yep. Cold War's kind of fun. Hyde's kind of fun. Journey to the centre of the TARDIS, meh, take it or leave it. Crimson Horror, not my cup of tea, get why you like it. I really enjoyed Nightmare of Silver. I thought that was a lot of fun.
0: Yes, so, I can't stand that.
1: Yeah. Again, the the, the Moffat era is, is, in this series, showing a bit more of its divisiveness, where what I consider can, can be kind of fun, other people will go is kind of awful. Mm. I, I find this a fun, watchable series. It's not a classic one. It's not one that I'm going back to very often. But, you know, having having hated the last one, well, I really hated the last one, I've gone, you know what, Doctor Who's just fun. Let's enjoy this.
0: And, of course, ends on Name of the Doctor and the big reveal of John Hurt.
1: Yeah, I don't have a lot of time for Name of the Doctor, I've got to say.
0: Okay, so it dips a bit for you at the end. It, it does for me at the end, I'm afraid. All right. What would you give it overall?
1: Uh, overall, look, I had no 9s and 10s, but I also had no 1s and 2s. So it came out at a very average 5.2. I think that's a little harsh. It maybe should be a 6. Mm-hmm. I think it's not a classic series, but it is a very watchable series. It's a more consistent series than RTD's
0: third. Okay. I give it a seven out of ten, and that's largely because of this sea of yellow and red I have in the middle. There are stories I, I quite like. There are clever stories. There are good stories. Uh, it just doesn't—it just doesn't look good to me when I look at this. You know, graphically, I think, oh hell, what's gone wrong here?
1: But but again, yeah, it, it's interesting. I haven't got huge pools of green or red on this one. It is a large sweep of yellow, but that compares to RTD's third, which is like a big chunk of red. And then a huge chunk of green, so you know. Do you give your points out for consistency, or do you give your points out for having more classics, even if some of them are duds? You know, which one is better? And I would say, if you are sitting down watching Doctor Who every evening once a week, I think consistency is kind of better. And Mm. maybe you need to give the Moffat points for for doing a consistent series, even if it doesn't quite have the classics that others do. And some would say this does have classics.
0: Yeah, yeah, they would they would now earlier dave i mentioned i thought we'd had peak moffat in his first series i'm going to go out on a limb here and say in russell t davis fourth series i have peak rtd there are no reds in this list for me
1: Ooh. Ooh. yeah
0: i was surprised by that too
1: <laughs> i was really surprised by this series as well And this is something that's been sneaking up on me for about a year now. I don't remember Russell's fourth series as being particularly good. I don't particularly remember enjoying it at the time. However, when I go back to watch it, when I look at each individual episode, it's really, really good.
0: Are we having a snap moment?
1: (laughs) Uh, Look, I've got two reds in there, and they're going to be ones that most of fandom will disagree with me on, and that is Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead.
0: Jesus, uh,
1: really? I, I, I just think that this was this was Moffat as a writer rather than a showrunner uh, at his low point. I think it's him just going back to the well. It's kind of it's kind of you know the greatest hits out. It's kind of the greatest hits album for him. And I found it was very unoriginal. It was very you know instead of having um, "Are you my daddy?" we have "Who turned the lights off?" Um, mm. Nobody dies. They all get uploaded to this thing. Um, there's the weird, weird virtual reality stuff going on that didn't sit with me Ah, uh, look i know i'm in a minority here but i don't like these two episodes i'm really sorry but i've got five greens and a lot of ye- a lot of yellows that very easily could have been green Planet of the ute is a green for me
0: and then that's it, one of my yellows
1: <laughs> okay and then it comes home with a really really strong midnight turn left stolen earth journey's end uh that's nine, 10, 10, 9 for me yeah and look Strange stratagem poison sky on a good day, I could be generous and make them a green doctor's daughter. Oh, on a really good day, a really good day, I could make that green unicorn and the wasp. It's not a classic, but I enjoy it. Fires of Pompeii, partners a crime. I, I quite like them. They they're not classics, but I quite like them. This is a really good series, and I don't know why I didn't like it. I think it's because I didn't like Donna.
0: Do you, at the time or now?
1: Both. I've 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 <laughs> I've, 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 I've softened on her. Yeah. Um, but I really, really struggled with her when I watched it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that perhaps jaded my view of the series, because it's really good. I think it's Tenant's best.
0: Interesting. Would you concur, then, when I say this is peak RTD?
1: Um, gee. Gee. <sighs> I think that... Oh, gee. <laughs> I would probably give Series 1 the edge. okay. And in fact, to to, to to go forward to my score, I've given season one a 6.9 average. I've given season four a 6.8 average. And that, I think, actually completely magically shows how close these are for me. Yeah. Um, I'd I'll, I'll struggle to pick between them. I, I think because I like Eccleston a lot and he works really well with Rose. Uh, and, and, and I'm not a huge fan of David Tennant. I think this is his best season. He's quite good here. If, if this was Tennant's only season... I'll probably rate him a lot more highly than I do because he's got two others if that mm. makes sense mm. yeah um, so because the Tenant Donner combination doesn't work for me nearly as well as Eccleston Rose that probably gives the first series the edge but they're both really good it's a strong start and finish and I've got to mention the only two episodes ever of Doctor Who so far in the new series to get an AI above the 80s are The Stolen Earth and Journey's End with 91 apiece
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's quite right. And look, I'll just point out too, because this ties back into something we were saying earlier, his companion here is older and not a love interest.
1: It is, it is. He's just annoying. (laughs) Um, I, I think, and it's funny, I was talking to some fans in Britain about this, and I think that her character does resonate more with the British than it does with people out here in the colonies. I think Donna's character is a very English character that we kind of just don't have a... Uh, an equivalent of in Australia, and I don't think they have in America
0: either. Mm, that's that's true. She's an acquired taste, but um, I'd watched a lot of her like TV work and her own you know comedy shows and so on, so I sort of had a feel for her and her characters and the way she could talk and, and, and act, and maybe that helped for me, perhaps. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Also really worth pointing out that it ends with what I think is a brilliant ending of an era... That's yeah. not the end of the era, <laughs> and that's something we'll revisit later in this podcast, I suspect, because yeah, I, I you know look as somebody who says I'm not one of these ones who, you, you know, Rob, I let me segue for a moment. I'm always fascinated going along onto YouTube after a Doctor Who episode has aired, particularly something like Twice Upon a Time, and watching some of these fan reaction videos where people film themselves like gasping and crying and getting really worked out about an episode. And I go look, I'm glad you've enjoyed it, but it's just TV, mate. Mm-hmm. If ever there was an episode that got me like that, it was Journey's End. That bit at the end where you see all of this thing that's come together, Doctor Who at this this, this this international high where you've got Torchwood and you've got the Sarah Jane adventures and great characters from all of them and to see all of them around the console, bringing the earth home, the Murray Gold music swelling, that was a moment when my chest, you know, beat hard. And yeah. that was a moment. If I was doing a reaction video, that's the one where I'll be, you know, getting really, really emotional. That 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 hit it for me.
0: Yeah. Look, I I concur. My series score, I've, I'm giving a nine out of ten here.
1: So, is this the best one so, to, so far for you?
0: It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And you- I'm I'm surprised by that. This has been an interesting exercise in general, just to go back after so long and to really, you know, put my thoughts into it and and see where things shake out. Yeah, that's all I'll say for the moment. I, I
1: actually think it's on my to-do list now to go back and watch Series 4 in a row a, a, as a new series from start to finish and just enjoy it. Because, there's it's better than I remember. Series 3 was weaker than I remembered. Series 4 was better than I remembered, I think.
0: We know just looking at these dates, if you start in April, that's the 10th anniversary.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and And, look, finishing with figures in the 8 millions as well.
0: Yeah, and even a 10.5 for the final one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, fantastic.
1: It's, it's it's important to remember just how big a deal Doctor Who was at this point in, in
0: time. Yeah, a, a agreed. So now we're going to get a bit timey-wimey. We have been tic-tacking and back and forth between Russell and Stephen, but we're going to leap forward now to Moffat's fourth series because uh, we've just spoken about Russell's fourth series, if that makes sense. And, of course, this is introducing a new Doctor, Dave. This is this is a whole new world again from his era with Smith.
1: It is, and it felt to me like a new era. It actually felt to me like a bigger reset than uh, Series 5 with the start of Smith
0: did. Oh, it's a big call. What do you think about it?
1: I have a lot of affection for Moffat's fourth series. I enjoyed watching it more than I had enjoyed watching Doctor Who for quite a number of years. I, I think it's his best series so far. I actually think that, and I'm sorry to say this to those who are Matt Smith fans, but I think that Capaldi's first series is better than all three of the Matt Smith series. I don't think that this is his best Capaldi series, and I haven't got a huge amount of green on this one. I've got a few, but it starts badly and it finishes badly, but in the middle, there's a run of episodes, Robot of Sherwood, Listen, Time Heist, Caretaker, Kill the Moon, Mummy, uh, Flatline, I, I need to watch again because that that didn't work for me at the time Forest of the night that is a really good run of really enjoyable stories in my view again, not many nines or tens in there listen to ten time Heister gave an eight roboter gave an eight but there's nothing below a six in there either in my view
0: interesting i'm I'm a bit down on this series I mean I was so delighted that capaldi was the doctor. You know, I'm not one of these people who wanted the Doctor to be young and, and, and fresh. I was quite quite excited that, oh, the guy from The Thick of It's going to be in Doctor Who. Jesus, this is great. And I was really disappointed. There are four green stories here, and one of them is the Christmas episode. So, from the season proper, only three. Uh, Deep Breath, Listen, and Mummy, for me. Um, there, there's quite a bit of yellow, which means there there are some, you know, fairly decent stories. Maybe ones that are knocking on being green, but quite a bit of yellow. And there are four red including the series finale two-parter, uh, which I think a lot of people are down on, you know, given it features the Iron Patriot and so on.
1: Yeah, I gave uh, I gave that a zero. Yeah. I think gave Dark Water a one and Death in Heaven a zero. My, my distaste for Death in Heaven is uh, on the record. I'm not going to labour the point again here. Uh, I think that it's interesting. It starts and ends like the Matt Smith era. Okay. Uh, Deep Breath and Into the Dalek, I think, are very Matt Smith stories. Dark Water and Death in Heaven, I think, are incredibly Matt Smith stories. They're very convoluted, they're full of arc stuff, and if you watch it looking for emotional impact I get why it works, but I think if you look at, look at it from terms of the actual plot, it is just an absolute mess, it is an absolute nonsense I think it's all overplayed uh, kind of the same with Deep Breath, I, I remember I actually was very naughty when the scripts of the first five episodes leaked I actually went and read the script for Deep Breath and when I got to the line where the Doctor says, it's okay, I speak Tyrannosaurus I thought, oh no, not more of this <laughs> But actually, it's a, it's a kind of fun episode. I, I don't think it's a great episode, but it's kind of fun. Into the Dalek, I think he's a mistake. Yeah. I think the Doctor there is not just alien, he is a prick. Yeah. And it is a mistake. But after that, I find this a really watchable series. I enjoyed sitting down on a Sunday evening at 7.30 with my dinner and watching Doctor Who and... Outside of the start and the end, there's nothing there I don't like. It's all just fun, enjoyable stuff. And in that sense, I give it, I think it's very, very comparable to Russell's fourth season. Just a shame that Russell ends with probably his best series finale ever. Moffat's fourth ends with, I think, his worst series finale ever.
0: Oh, gosh, I, I have to disagree. <laughs> oh, dear. Co- Color-wise, this looks nothing like RTD's fourth, um, oh, okay. where I had no red at all here. I've got red, I've got yellow everywhere. It's it's.
1: Wh- it's where are your reds?
0: My reds are Kill the Moon, Ooh. In the Forest of the Night, Ooh. Dark Water, and Death in Heaven.
1: Okay, the last two's fair. Mm. I, I You see, this is the thing. And I sometimes think it depends on how you're approaching the series and how the momentum of a series is carrying you. And because I was really enjoying this series, I was willing to overlook some of the rough edges in Kill the Moon and uh, Forest on the Night and just take them as fun stories and enjoy them. Uh, Maybe maybe I'm in the minority on that. I think I am.
0: I I was getting really annoyed with where Clara was going. I thought Clara's time was up. She should have been gone at this point. And the the slapping of the Doctor, you know, um, and all that sort of stuff what episode is it? I'll slap you so hard you, you'll regenerate I mean good grief what a thing to say to someone so um,
1: look I, I, I agree with you that Clara was a problematic companion I never enjoyed her run I think by this stage I kind of blanked her <laughs> to be honest <laughs> so is this a case where like for me with Davies fourth my dislike of the Donna Companion drags my vibe down is it, is it that Clara's dragging your vibe down on this one
0: Clara definitely dragged my vibe down, Dave, on this on this series, yes.
1: Okay. Okay, yeah. interesting. Maybe maybe what we need to do as an experiment sometime this year, Rob, is I'll rewatch Russell's fourth, you re-watch Moff's fourth, and we'll reassess <laughs> and see how we can both come back.
0: <laughs> okay, deal. Deal.
1: That that could be an episode mid year sometime, maybe.
0: All right. Series score, I'm giving this a six out of ten.
1: I gave it a five point three. Now, mm-hmm. if you take out the fact that Dark Water got a 1 and Death in Heaven got a 0, that obviously would go up to sort of a mid-sixes, and I think that's that's very fair. I think it's a very typical, good season. Not a classic, but incredibly watchable with, you know, Death in Heaven at the
0: end. Yeah, no, that's fair. And remember, listeners, we are scoring these in different ways, so um, don't compare what we're saying to each other. Just compare them to our final scores, I guess, at the end when we say who's come out on top
1: yeah look I, I i understand that some people would say even the worst doctor who is at least a five and it's like well in that case why even have the first four numbers use the whole scale
0: <laughs> exactly now we'll go back in time to the rtd specials uh this is where Tennant didn't want to do a full series so we got some uh movies between well Between one whole year and the other Um, A Christmas special uh, And then through to a Christmas special And a New Year's, was it a New Year's Day special? Yeah, I think so It was a 12 month period, only four stories Yes Kicks off with the next Doctor I thought this was quite middling Moved on to Planet of the Dead I thought it was quite middling Waters of Mars I thought was pretty damn good And then End of Time I know some people hate it, I'm going to say middling So for me, bit of a dud This year of specials
1: uh, they're all yellow for me and all for different reasons there's mm-hmm. nothing in there that I think is horrible there's nothing there that I think is particularly wonderful next doctors a good idea the first two thirds is great the last third is it's typical RTD over the top nonsense planet of the dead is harmless but kind of dull
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Waters of Mars I I love this at the time I thought this was brilliant at the time and I read watched it earlier this year I'm oh, sorry I rewatched it late last year, or yeah. early last year, sometime in the last 12 months. <laughs> this, this whole January thing is throwing me out. And yeah, a lot of it still holds up in terms of exciting action adventure. It just, I really struggle with the suicide is the answer thing. I really struggle with the Time Lord Victoria stuff. And particularly given that it didn't pay off, like it, mm. it went nowhere. So that, that drags it down, but... Uh, if I went on Gut, Waters of Mars would be a green. But being critical, I have to make it a yellow. End of Time, yeah. It's not the worst series ending. It's not the best. It's it's unnecessary more than anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And as you've said on this show before, his, his real end was probably Stolen Earth and Journey's end. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I really do think it was. I think that's the perfect end of the era. And, you know, again, I contrast that wonderful thing where for genuine plot reasons all of these periphery characters are all together in one place or you know watching by the or whatever and they're all celebrating together versus the really artificial device of the doctor going to see them all Mm. you know you get a natural conclusion versus a forced conclusion and that's the difference between those two
0: yeah my biggest beef with waters of mars is that they're on mars these people are changing into, you know, monsters with with scaly mouths. I'm thinking they're changing into ice warriors. This is brilliant. This is this is how maybe ice warriors come about. You know, I I can live with that. It's it's some sort of virus. Weird. No, they're not they're not ice <laughs> warriors. They just they just happen to be on Mars turning into things with scaly mouths that aren't ice warriors. It wasn't a little thought, bit odd, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, I found that odd. You know, and look, just to summarise on this for me, it's it's surprising to me how russell tasked with just four stories and two of these are co-written so i think we can assume maybe the co-writer did the bulk of it and he came in and edited which is which is less than he'd normally write less work than he'd usually have he only delivers four pretty average stories i'm I'm shocked by that actually
1: it's it's a disappointing end from russell t davies and i think that the faults of his era are very much writ large in these. That is the over-reliance sometimes on emotion the inability to do an ending. And he he's very open about that he says it's not about the conclusion it's about the journey. Okay that's a very valid way to write. I think that it doesn't pay off and particularly when you're writing specials that kind of have to stand alone. If you don't land the ending, what's the point?
0: Agreed. So look overall I'm it's a charitable 6 out of 10 from me.
1: It's a 5.5 for me
0: All right. Now we're being timey-wimey, so now we're going back. We've been talking about a Capaldi series, but now we're going to talk about the end of Matt Smith's era with uh, some Moffat specials.
1: Yes, uh, one of which is absolutely brilliant and one of which isn't.
0: It's what I've got down here, Dave. It's a tale of two halves. Mm-hmm. Moffat follows up a delight of a story in Day of the Doctor with possibly the second worst regeneration story ever. I think I'm having to toss up between it and Time and the Rani or possibly Twice Upon a Time as the worst regeneration story.
1: Yeah, no, it is, it is the worst for me. Um, I'll, I'll put that out there. This, this is, we've predicated this podcast on looking back at the Moffat era and contrasting with Davies. If you wanted to say in microcosm, show me the best of Moffat and the worst of Moffat, I would show you these two episodes.
0: Yeah, that's fair, actually.
1: The best of Moffat, witty, clever, timey-wimey but self-contained timey-wimey, character moments, twists, visual spectaculars, surprises. Everything's in there. This is a witty, fun, clever story. This is Moffat at his best in Day of the Doctor.
0: And Moffat himself thinks it's probably the best thing he'll ever write or or be regarded as the best thing he ever wrote.
1: Yeah, very, very possible. Very, very possible. In contrast, Time of the Doctor. A little bit too smug. A little bit too clever. Timey-wimey in a way that doesn't quite work. An over-reliance on emotion that doesn't really land.
0: Mm.
1: Characters coming back that really don't need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ask me to summarize all the things that I think are negatives in the Moffat era, I would put on The Time of the Doctor and go, that, that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is my case writ large.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, no no complaints from me. Um, I think you've said it all. It, it, it is a game of two halves here.
1: Yeah, and it, it really is amazing that... Not amazing, perhaps interesting, perhaps, perhaps fortuitous, that Moffat can have these highs and these lows and I think he, tra- he, he throws out different things and they don't always land but mm. you know when I look back on the Moffat era in five years time will I appreciate that he did throw out so many different things knowing they wouldn't always land with everybody I think I will when you're watching them every week you want every episode to land
0: yeah, yeah.
1: and so maybe at times you know it was hard to watch the Moffat era because they didn't always land but looking back I think we respect what he did
0: yeah, look, when we talk about Twice Upon a Time, if people have heard our episode on that, I think his whole concept around testimony needed its own story. Maybe even a two-parter. What a great idea. And it's just thrown away. Is, is that the kind of thing you mean, you know, that he throws all these ideas in? Sometimes they're not explored, sometimes they don't land, but they're there?
1: Yeah, um, something like Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. It's not my favourite episode. It ends with a stupid reset button. But I'm glad he tried it. Um, you know, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. That shouldn't have worked, but it did. I'm glad he tried it. Um, Mm. You know, Rings of Akatan. I hate it, but I'm kind of glad that he had a crack and that he tried to do something different because there's other times when he did something different and it absolutely lands for me.
0: Exactly right. So, look, I I found it very hard to score this because there's only two stories here and I'm not being as, as scientific or mathematical as you. I've thrown a seven at it, and that's just because Day of the Doctor's off the charts and Time of the Doctor isn't and that's kind of where I ended up with the vibe. Um, But that's that's an imperfect score for me.
1: Well, I did the maths and I got a 7 as well. (laughs) Very good. Which is a 10 and a 4, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, there we go. Let's move on. Uh, We're into just pure Moffat now.
1: Pure Moffat.
0: His his fifth series. This series, to me, is a step up from his first with Capaldi. You know, I I was a bit down on that last series... Um, I think there's more good stories in this, for starters. Um, but there's also a lot more of the middle of the road stuff too, which ultimately means there's less there's less red on this chart for me. There's only actually one red story completely. I'm I'm pretty happy with this, although it is a large sea of yellow. And it, you know, people say Capaldi was wasted by by the writing, and this absolutely triggers some people. They go crazy. But when I look at this first series of Capaldi and this second series. There's there's red, there's yellow. It's, it's it's not as good as I wanted it to be. You know, I would have loved to have seen, you know, a few more green stories in these series so far.
1: I have a real problem with assessing this series, Rob. Mm-hmm. I said just a few moments ago that I thought Capaldi's first series, Moffat's fourth, was the best that Moffat had written so far. I think the weakest Capaldi is better than the best Smith. Yeah. So I really enjoyed series Moffat's fourth my vibe is that his second capaldi series was weaker interesting however when i've actually given it a scores and done an average the average actually comes out higher (laughs) so i'm not sure what i what i can say um i only have two stories here that i put in red
0: is one of them sleep no more
1: (laughs) um oh why haven't i put that in
0: red uh
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have put that in red. Actually, yeah, I only have three stories that I put in. Red. <laughs> uh, look, sleep no more is one, and the two Zygons. I actually think I, I, I have some real problems with the Zygon episodes. I think they're badly written. I think they're quite offensively written in some ways. I think the Doctor who the I think the Doctor is actually expressing some very bullying and racist sentiments, particularly in the first one. I think his, um, you know don't fight terror go hug people speech that people love to repeat is extremely misguided mm. uh, I really don't like those two parties or sleep no more so there's this big chunk in the middle I don't like but there's four that I've got in green and the rest is a happy yellow
0: okay, no, that, that's that's fair I mean, Zygon in Invasion and Inversion I've got in yellow but it's probably at the lower scale of yellow tending towards you know, red um, whereas something like Oh, I don't know. Hellbent, I've got in yellow, but that could almost be green for me. Almost.
1: Yeah, I agree. My my Hellbent is also yellow, but on a good day could be green. Um, my four greens are Under the Lake Before the Flood. I really, really enjoyed that story.
0: Yeah, snap on those.
1: Face the Raven?
0: Uh, no, but could be.
1: Okay, and Heaven Sent, which I've given a 10
0: yeah i've got that in, in in green as well i also tossed greens on the magician's apprentice and which familiar i i quite liked being on Scaro and and having all the classic daleks and and my god the doctor pulling davros out of his chair what an outrageous thing to do it made me laugh i mean, you know it's probably not politically correct to laugh at that sort of thing but geez i laughed
1: and uh, yeah i i struggled with those two episodes um I, I need to rewatch these two episodes again because my memory is of, of it all not quite working. I think Missy was very over the top and didn't quite work. Davros was kind of a bit forced and a bit, uh, well, what clever things can we do with Davros to show off that didn't quite land? Mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff about, you know, the Dalek translator and they saying Exterminates how they recharge their guns. And there's just a lot of things yeah. that didn't kind of sit with me. And maybe I need to get over myself and see the story for what it is. I can I can accept that.
0: No, look, I, when when that line in particular they say exterminate to to recharge. No, I, I I cringed at that as well. I thought Moffat, you're doing this just to write this into Doctor Who history. You don't have to go that far. Yeah. <laughs> really.
1: Is is that a trope that we need to take two minutes to discuss? Do we think that it is a fair criticism of Moffat that he does try to stamp Moffat over history?
0: Look there are two sides to this i i cringe when i see stuff like that because i think it's blatantly what he's doing at the same time though do we do we not want our showrunners to stamp something of themselves onto the show they're kind of the two sides to the argument i think
1: yeah look i think that it is absolutely true that he does you look at what he did with the Simon you look at what he did with the daleks um, you know, making the Master a female for the first time, that was very much a, a forward-looking piece of stamping, which, which I think is, is very acceptable. Um, but, you know, Clara going back and Clara actually solved all of the Doctor's problems for the whole classic era. Or, we've rewritten the regeneration, so now suddenly we're not the 11th Doctor, we're the 13th, just so he could be the one to give them that new set of regenerations when it didn't need to happen. And um. I think the biggest missed opportunity of his era comes from that. I think it's a huge mistake dramatically i've said before the idea of the doctor being on his 13th life and not having the safety of regeneration is a fascinating idea could you imagine if jodie whittaker didn't think she could regenerate and so then you're going well how does the doctor react does he change the way he doctors and the risks that he takes because he knows that he's going to die not regenerate that to me i think is a real missed opportunity on on Moffat's part a big big strike against him
0: yeah agreed
1: again i'm enjoying the capaldi era I think the Capaldi era is incredibly enjoyable. My my gut says that his first series was better than his second. The math says his second was better than his first. You say his, you you say his second was better than his first. So, yeah. can we can we at least say that the first twenty or so episodes of the Capaldi era, well, twenty six, whatever they are, is actually incredibly incredibly consistent and enjoyable and stable.
0: It's good. It's good, and I think it gets better when we get to the, the third series. Mm. Um, one thing I'll say about the second series, too, is just the character of the Doctor is just more rounded out, not as spiky. Yes. He's not quite what he becomes in this third series, and I think everyone loves what he did in the third series. He's he's halfway between, and you can sort of look back and see that... You can see the progression now. You know, the spiky first series, the middle middling second series, and then we all like him in the third. I just wish they didn't do that at all. I had an argument with someone on, on Twitter about that just recently, actually. I, I wish he'd just been quirky from the start.
1: Yeah, look, I think so as well. I like, or understand, I should say, the idea of we'll make him a bit dislikable at the start and then soften the edges. The problem is, while you're watching the unlikable episodes, he is just unlikable. Yeah. It's the same problem. And, and again, I think Moffat didn't learn the lesson of the Lieutenant Rose second season, or, or the second season of Davies with Tennant and Rose, okay, I know you're going to have to pay off for them being arrogant and annoying, but for 12 weeks, they're just arrogant and annoying. For a season here, Capaldi is just a bit of a prick.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And you know what? At the time, I was kind of tickled that the Doctor was like that, that he was a bit Malcolm Tucker. But when I went back and re-watched it, I thought, no, you know what? It's not often I say I'm wrong, but I was wrong. He, he, he should have just been much more likable. This is not right. <laughs>
1: I I certainly had friends who after Into the Dalek were very wary about the Capaldi Doctor and it did stay in their view of him for quite a while.
0: I'm not surprised, yeah. Look, which takes us into Moffat's sixth series and Capaldi's third. I'll kick off by saying this is better to me than the one before it, which means each series has got progressively better. And again, the Capaldi Doctor's evolve, which we just spoke about. And I think there's a great irony in this series that... Moffat's probably two series beyond where he should have left, in my opinion. Murray Gold's been there way too long himself, uh, and so on and so forth. And yet this emerges, for me, as the best of Capaldi's tenure, and it wouldn't have been made if those guys had gone, or made in this way, at least. You know, so I don't want to sound like a broken record, but to go back to that, you know, was he wasted by some of the material he got... I think the answer is yes, and I know that triggers people, but I, I just look at this series and think if only his first couple of series could be as good as this, and I know you quite like the first couple, so, you know, this is just me talking. I just think there's some really average stuff to begin with, but this this brings him home pretty well, I think, this series.
1: I think that this series is fantastic. Um, on the numbers, I've given it the highest score I've given to any of the 10 seasons so far. Um, on the vibe, as I say, I... I, I go back and forth as to whether it's the Eccleston series or season 10 and 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 I don't think I can assess that until I've had a couple of years to really let it let it it sink in and and, and age a bit
0: Mm.
1: before I go on you've said that series 10 is Capaldi slash Moffat's best do you have it as Moffat's best full stop
0: in which you ask if it's as good as Smithy's first series Oh, boy. Um.
1: You see, for me, it's a clear yes. Oh,
0: it's not clear to me at all. I'm, okay. I'm scrolling back quickly to do this uh, live, as it were. You know what? It's better. Mm. Yeah, it's better. There might be one more dud story, but there's less yellow and more green. Yeah, my, so... My vibe is it's better.
1: Yeah, so let me put forward a bit of a contention here. This is Moffat Unchained just writing good stories Mm -hmm. I think that what has pulled the Moffat era back for me particularly the Moffat Smith era is that sense of perhaps trying too hard to be a bit too clever to have a few arcs and twists and themes that run through and never quite resolve themselves satisfactorily whereas in this one you kind of just got the Doctor and a really cool companion having some really cool adventures I've got uh, eight greens in this series, and I got, no reds. Seven. And I've got no, no reds, reds. No reds. I, I could probably give Live Land a red on a bad day, but I was generous and stuck to yellow. I found this an incredibly enjoyable series of just good stories. The pilot, Smile, Thin Ice, Knock Knock, Oxygen, all of them really enjoyable. Eaters of Light, World Enough in Time, The Doctor Falls. That's nine, ten, nine for me. Yeah. It dips a bit in the middle with the three-parter Empress of Mars. Yeah, that's fun as well. I, I've, I, I think it's amazing that we've both said that Moffat's sixth season, where you know, he should be burned out, he should be spent, he should be done. And we've both said it's his best work. And I wonder if that is because he did feel a bit unshackled, a bit unchained, and he's just delivering weekly good stories.
0: Yeah and and as you say the companion situation has changed. This is my this is my argument for changing companions once every year or two. People are horrified when I say, "Oh, look, you should have some companions that are just there for a year." People are like, oh, "No, no, cuz what if you really like someone?" No, it's more interesting to have doctors with different companions. It mixes things up. It gives the writers different things to do. You don't get as bogged down as you did when we had Clara, you know, to harp on Clara, you know, and her story and just trying to make interesting things for her to do. I think the circumstances have also helped him here in terms of who the companions are and what else was going on.
1: Okay, so let's sidebar again there and have the companion conversation. There are accusations levelled at Stephen Moffat that A, he can't write women and B, all the women characters he writes are the same. Yep. I think that they're both unfair, but they are exaggerations of a charge that perhaps you could make, a lesser charge that perhaps you could make. I don't think that he writes all women the same. That There are clearly very different characters in his era that are, are, are different. That, that, is a, that is a provable nonsense. Mm. I, I don't think you can say that he can't write women because clearly there are examples of where he can. However, is there a particular archetype of female character that flows through the Moffat era and are all very similar in nature to each other and indeed to characters that he has written in the past in other series. I think that is an accusation you could make. I think it's very hard to tell the difference between Amy and Clara. I think that Riversong is basically the same character as them aged another 20 or 30 years. Mm. You have, you know, Madame Kevorkian who's in there and is basically the same sort of character. Except you know, evil Missy is again a very similar sort of character that has a very similar sort of speech pattern, a very similar sort of sense of humour. Uh, am I wrong here? Am I right here? Do you, uh, do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to thread a needle here,
0: Rob. If if I'm trying to draw a a, a line between all of them, it, it there's a kind of sassiness mm-hmm. between them all, and I think sassy characters tend to play pretty well on tv people people like a bit of sass in their characters maybe it's harder to write more nuanced characters who are a bit different to that so maybe maybe it's almost lazy to lean on oh, i'll just make this character a bit sassy you know that's always fun look you could say the same though of joss wheaton a, a lot of his characters were quite sassy and had quippy one liners and things like that uh but i do see what you're saying yeah,
1: Yeah, and, and I'm not necessarily saying this and therefore you write off the Moffat here and he's guilty or whatever. Not I, at all. I, I'm trying to say that I think that the charges levelled at him are unfair. I think he can write women. He writes different women. I do, however, get that... And, and I almost call it the Linda Day character. Yes. And, you know, when I went back and watched Press Gang a few years ago, I found that in the last series of Press Gang, Linda Day was actually a very difficult character to like. And I think that sometimes Clara and Amy were very difficult characters to like. Missy was very difficult to like. Riversong, by the end of it, was very difficult to like. If you are not careful with sass, you go from being sassy and fun to sassy and kind of obnoxious and kind of arrogant and kind of not someone I want to hang around with.
0: Yeah, and when you're not the lead character in the show, (laughs) you've got trouble.
1: Yeah, so I do think that is a, a... Something that we need to reflect upon with the Moffat era. And again, with Bill, I feel as though he's not trying so hard. And so he just writes a fun character. And particularly as she settles down, she, she's not really a sassy character. She's just
0: funny. And, and she has moments of not being sure of herself, she has moments of fear. Um, she's, yeah, she's more Bill human and more
1: realistic. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the thing you know, when you talk about writing television, um, I always use the contrast of The Office versus the Drew Carey
0: show.
1: Okay. You know, the Drew Carey show is set in an office, but it's all about everybody's got a quip and a one line and a little barb. And you go, that's really funny and entertaining. I'm laughing a lot. But offices aren't like that. (laughs) Whereas the office with Ricky Gervais, there are moments there of, you know, interminable silence and awkwardness and people who think they've got a zinger and it really doesn't land. And, you know, (laughs) that's why that series is so good because offices are like that. And I think that Clara and Amy were so cleverly written that you go, you know what, people aren't that clever and they're not that witty, whereas Bill did feel like a real person.
0: Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed.
1: Clara and Amy are the Drew Carey show. Bill is the office.
0: (laughs) And that's the tagline for how we'll sell this episode. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, your your series score, Dave, mine was 8 out of 10.
1: Uh, Mine was 7.5, which is comfortably the best I've given. Um, it beats the 6.9 I gave to Series 1. And it could be in a couple of years I'm going, yeah, you know what? I've given this time to mature and Moffat's last series is the best series of New Who. It could be by then, of course, that Chibnall's first series is even better.
0: Yeah. <laughs> who, know, who knows? Who knows? Well, but, fingers crossed.
1: But yeah. So can I Can I then give my, my, a really important fundamental point that I've been building towards across this? Yeah, of course. I struggled to compare the RTD era to the Moffat era. Mm -hmm. Let me say now, if I had to pick one of those two, I would pick the RTD era. However, if I was comparing the RTD era to the Moffat slash Smith era to the Moffat slash Capaldi era, that would be very, very difficult. And I think that I would actually pick the Moffat-Capaldi era as the best of the three, followed by the Davies era, with the Moffat-Smith era bringing up the rear.
0: Okay. Okay, that's fair.
1: Yeah, so when you go, hey, Davies versus Moffat, and I go, oh, gee, okay, Mm, Davies, I guess. But if you let me break them into two, I'll go Moffat.
0: Mm. That's an interesting way to break it down. I genuinely didn't know where I would come out, so what I used was averaging all these scores I've given. And I have have those results in front of me. Go on. Um, RTD average, and this is this was my vibe. This is what I gave each series and then averaged. RTD seven point seven five. The Moth seven point two eight. Ooh. And to me, as soon as I saw those figures come out, I said, "You know what? That's quite right. They they are so close to each other. You know, point point five between them." I thought, yeah, I, I can live with that because I think maybe I lean towards RTD just, but gosh, there's a lot of really good moth, and the fact they are almost equal in this and this was done without me adding up as I was going along in my head trying to make them equal. This was honest scoring, my vibe on each. They've ended up almost the same.
1: That's really, really interesting. Looking back, I think the Russell He Davies era is a more accessible era and in many ways a more fun era yes i i I think because of that there are more episodes that i would call classics in there it is very enjoyable to watch but there's some real real duds in there as well yeah the moffat era it is more work to watch it it is not just fun simple it's not always as accessible as it could be
0: it's way more for the fans
1: it's way more for the fans But the Capaldi era particularly is incredibly consistent and fun. Smith's first and last, they're not entirely my cup of tea, and and they're certainly dragged down by the fact that I don't much like the Matt Smith Doctor. There is a lot that I can sit down and just watch and enjoy. Not classics, but just watch and enjoy. It is is overshadowed by Series 6. I don't like it. It doesn't work. For me, at least. Uh, The Moff's era is probably cleverer. The Moff's era hits the highs at the end. The Davies era um, has a good start, a weak middle, and a strong finish. Mm. It, it, they're very different vibes. I do have to give Davies the points for making the show a mass appeal show. I don't think that the Moffat Doctors have ever quite caught that, that mass cultural phenomenon that Davies did with him and David Tennant.
0: Yeah, no, not at all.
1: However... Moffat broke into America and he has placed Doctor Who, particularly his era, with a number of other very popular uh, cult series with a very dedicated fan base that I think will perhaps uh, stand the test of time with them better than the Davies era.
0: Yeah, look, agreed agreed on that. I mean there's a whole there's a whole debate as to whether Doctor Who should be made for the American audience. Um, but I guess with the way BBC funding is going, you know, the money worldwide rakes in is actually quite important these days. It might be more of an old school fan's view of, you know, you don't make this stuff for the overseas market. You're meant to make it for your, you know, your licensed payers. But I guess times have changed.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And we're now entering a world of the Netflix, Amazon, etc. tailor-made television where you actually don't have to put something on to free-to-air broadcast and hope the audience turns on the television, you you just go out and you create something that you know 10 million people across the world will like and you let those 10 million people find it. Yeah. And I think Moffat's era is more a reflection of that era of television. Russell T Davies is turn on the TV at 7.30 and watch Doctor Who and everybody can kind of enjoy it, whoever they are. Moffat's is more go and find your niche bit of television.
0: Yeah, it's funny when we look back now, Russell was really the the tail end of that era of television and and we've lived through it, so it's kind of weird to look back and realize we've mm. done that now.
1: Yeah, and and Moffat's era does fit in very very well with a lot of the television that's being shown at the moment. Stranger things, 13 reasons why, uh, better call Saul. You know, all right. of these programs that are getting made from house of house of cards. Not that that's going to be made for much longer.
0: <laughs> Oopsie, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to episode one of the next series where, where Mrs. Underwood takes a phone call. Oh, no, my husband's been shot off screen. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> um, sorry, just to go down that path. Um, yeah, I, the Moffat era is like television today.
0: Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And like I say, it's just it's so interesting that we've we've now lived through these two eras. We've got another era to come. Gosh, what what's it going to be like by the end of Chibnall's era? How long will Chibnall's era be? Will he do like this many series, or will he knock it on the head after two or three?
1: Yeah, and my gut instinct is to say, you know, do three series, four series, and get out. Yeah. But we've both both we both just said that Russell T Davies' fourth series was possibly his best, and Moffat's last series was probably his best. So neither of them arguably outstayed their welcome.
0: No, they just took uh, the long way getting there, maybe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Uh, my final thought is that when we look back on these eras in 10, 20, 30 years' time, I think they will both look like television around them. In the way that we look at the Eric Sayward j t era in the 80s and go, look, its strengths and its weaknesses are the strengths and the weaknesses of all television in the early 80s. The McCoy era is so television in the late 80s. The Hartnell era is so television of the 60s. Per yeah. pert with the seventy like they feel like their eras. We're gonna look back at the Russell T. Davies era and go, that was classic first decade of the twenty first century television, and Moffat was classic, the start of uh the, the, the breakdown of network television era stuff. They're gonna yeah. look like their eras in a way that perhaps we don't appreciate sitting in the middle of them.
0: Well said. Well said. Now, some other people who have said some good things are our listeners, Dave. We put out one call and got swamped with so many responses. I didn't put the call out again.
1: <laughs> uh, no, very smart. We've got a huge um, amount of feedback. I suspect this is a topic that exercises people's views.
0: As, look, as soon as we said, look, we're doing this, the responses just started coming in. Email, Facebook, Twitter. Incredible. Incredible. You know, I literally didn't have to ask again. In fact, if I asked again, we'd still be here for another hour discussing it. I think I think it's gonna take a while to work through all of these as it is.
1: Well, we'd better get into it then.
0: We'd better. So the first one, Mike Solko, friend of the show, sometimes co-host. Moffat is better at creating clever stories and bold, outrageous characters. RTD brings a humanity that was generally lacking with Moffat, but his big stories were often mushy messes. I lean towards Moffat although I see why RTD is more accessible. Hashtag Team Masterplan.
1: I think that's a really good insight there, Mike, and thank you for making that comment. I agree with all of it. Mm. We had a tweet from Paul Ebbs. Thank you for writing in, Paul. RTD shades it for me, but Moff writes the best single episodes. As an overall era by era, my recent complete WeWatch leans more towards the Welsh fella.
0: And my scoring leans towards the Welsh fella as well. And Dave, you lean towards him in some ways yourself.
1: Yes, but he says shades it for him. And yeah, we both agreed it's very close.
0: It is super close. And of course, when you compare Compaldi, maybe not quite. But yeah, gosh, good good thoughts there, Paul. Uh, Andrew Kernow. Crikey, you might as well ask me which is better, Hinchcliffe or Williams? Actually, no, that's a terrible example on my part. Definitely Graham Williams. (laughs) Objectively, I'd say Mr. Moffat always tried to push the show and do something new and different with each season. And although I didn't always like it, season six being one big story, for example, I would always praise the ambition and the determination to keep it new and surprising and fresh and unpredictable. However, for all that my taste in Who has always been more season 17 than season 13, so I've got to go with RTD, whose era was just a bit less moody and that bit more rompy, but splendid chaps, both of them, etc, etc.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Uh, We have a tweet here from Martin Vincent, who must have sent it to you, because I'm pretty sure Martin's blocked me on Twitter.
0: Oh dear.
1: Uh, That's all right. Although I think Moffat was the best writer, I think RTD was the better showrunner. That's a criticism, Rob, that's often brought up that Moffat actually wrote some classic episodes, but never quite was comfortable with the mechanics of planning and writing a series overall. I mm-hmm. don't know if that's fair, but it's an interesting case that people do make.
0: It's, it's one of those generalisations that you can maybe, yes, yeah, sort of bear out, but it might be a bit overblown, perhaps.
1: It is also important to say, in fairness, and we alluded to this earlier, Clearly, there were budget and control issues from the BBC behind the scenes that Moffat had to face that Davies didn't.
0: Yes, and he also... Davies, that is, seemed to have a more stable team around him for a longer period of time. Moffat, I think, had some blow-ups with people at times. Uh,
1: yes, as I say, I look forward to the Richard Mars and Tell All book in 20 years'
0: time. Yes. <laughs> okay. Christopher Bright. Hello, Chris. He says, my preference is for RTD on several levels. I feel like in the UK at any rate, he was more successful. Who felt more of a phenomenon with Tennant than with Capaldi? In many ways, that's unfair because Moffat didn't have the benefit of being new and novel, but many of his choices, or those imposed on him, were hardly judged to improve the show's reach. A late time slot, arc plots that either came to nothing, such as the hybrid, or resolved too late, such as the crack, Uh, stories, especially at Christmas, drowning in fan wank. Both eras have their share of crap stories and also their share of classics – but I just love the whole RTD era while I've merely liked the last seven years, which is far too long for any showrunner. I'd even admit RTD was losing it by 2009, so imagine his Series 6. Series 10 has had some great aspects, but also some disappointments. I'm rambling now. Don't eat pears. Vote Davis.
1: Yep, there's some very interesting <laughs> and fair thoughts there from Christopher. And, yeah, look, I agree. The hybrid plot came to, to, to nothing. It was a nonsense. Um, oh, what's the hybrid doctor? I don't know. It could be us, maybe them. Don't know. <laughs> and and look, the crack plot. I still don't know how the crack plot was resolved. I'm still not a hundred percent sure why the TARDIS blew up five years ago. I don't. I, I, Backwards
0: Yeah, and look, the second thing with the hybrid is why did everyone seemingly in the universe get really excited about it at that one particular time, but now no one talks about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have one from the Ginger Luke who tweets at. Lama underscore bottle zero. Russell, I have nothing except a large amount of minor issues against Moffat, and I quite often enjoy his episodes as much as Russell's. But Russell the Davies has such great wit and a great ability to write three shows at the same time. I will always love his work, Eccleston's My Doc.
0: Very fair. Uh, from Explain Later, the guys at Explain Later Pod. Hello, fellas. Hi, guys. RTD, the most consistent writer of characters we actually cared about.
1: Yeah, if you wanted to summarise the strength of RTD in one sentence, that's the sentence. I think so. Alright, we're now into some emails. So strap yourselves in.
0: (laughs) Yes, these get long.
1: (laughs) From Jeff Waddle. I'm replying by email as I've struggled to get what I think into 140 characters, or 280 or whatever it is now. The RTD era for me was carried initially by the excitement that my favourite show was back. I loved season one, I'd happily even watched the flatulating green aliens again and i'd love the more classic feel of the doctor companion relationship how i wish i'd had one more season of eccles cake i do too although Tennant is certainly the most popular new series doctor i had a big struggle with him his doctor and rose were nauseatingly smug his mockney accent put me off completely when he could easily have played the part in a natural gentle scottish tongue instead we got a dick van dyke time lord and who the hell wants that There's some great stories in there. The Impossible Planet 2-parter was great, but I seldom enjoyed the resolution to a season finale. The final special season was just a damn squib from start to finish. Nobody was more excited than me with the moth taking over. The writer of most of my favourite stories in the RTD era. What more could you want? Series 5 didn't disappoint. Matt Smith was quirky and fun and alien from the first episode through to the finale. Even though I'm not exactly sure what went on, I absolutely love it. Still by far my favourite season of New Who.
0: Here, here, Jeff.
1: Season 6 was a mishmash. Great stories interspersed with rubbish. A poor finale. Season 7 was almost a disappointment from start to finish. And Matt Smith got a poor send-off. Roll on Capaldi. Loved him in almost everything he's been in. And he's almost never disappointed me in the role. Apart from his finale. And I should love his era. But I don't. The Clara thing dragged on and on. The Missy storyline was the perfect ending for her... Instead, it dragged on again and weighed down the era. Season 10 with a new companion, even though I didn't like all the stories, showed us what a fresh companion could bring, energy and a fresh impetus. To sum it up, RTD for me was more worried about people's characters to the detriment of the arcs and sometimes the stories. The Moth was more interested in the stories and arcs to the detriment of people's characters, and even the arcs were poorly resolved. The whole silence thing still doesn't make one ounce of sense to me. (laughs) Glad I'm not alone on that one. Yeah. In short, it's down to what kind of story you prefer. For me, it's probably two seasons worth of stories from the RTD era I'd happily watch again. Probably three seasons of stories I'd happily watch again from the Moff era, but he had two seasons longer. I'd say I enjoyed the Moffat era more, because when he nailed it, my goodness, he nailed it. But not often enough for my liking. It can't be easy to run a show like this. With 50 years of stories, there are going to be a lot of similarities. And there are only a few varieties of stories that you can tell anyway. So it's my firm belief, just as the modern Doctor should do three years max, a companion two years max, a showrunner shouldn't do more than two or three seasons, as it just gets repetitive and stale, which is how I feel about the show lately. Will Chibnett be better? I hope so. I wasn't in favour of the female Doctor, but certainly things need freshening up, a sense of excitement again, and this is probably the way to go. It will certainly be interesting, and if the gamble doesn't work, at least they've tried. Take care, all the best, and cheers. Some good thoughts in there, Jeff.
0: Yeah, lots of good thoughts. Uh, some retread other listeners' thoughts, but uh, some some new stuff in there as well. And, yeah, look, I, I'll just pick up again. I think Companions... I'd love to see one-year, two-year max Companions. I think that's good. And, yes, showrunners who only go for two or three years. Keep it fresh. Keep it moving. Keep it interesting. Uh, it seems you know, the, the roles are often these guys to give up rather than, you know, maybe more pressure coming down on them saying, you know, come on, <laughs> move on. Let's get something new happening. Mm. It's a it's a shame that they don't rotate all that often. But who knows what Chibnall will do. I, I sort of have this funny feeling he might only do two or three. It's just, you know, he might come in with Jodie, do three seasons with her, and then go with her. Uh, possibly. it's
1: It's the ultimate speculation, isn't it?
0: Yeah, he, he just strikes me as that kind of guy. There's something something about him.
1: Mm. Okay. Mm.
0: Moving on, another email. This is from Renata Riveri. Hello, Renata. Renata follows us uh, on Twitter, uh, but has sent an email this time around. Hi, Rob. David, how are you doing? Hope it's all fine. So, RTD versus Moffat. Wow. I still remember seeing fandom wars over this. I saw some really ugly battles, most during Moffat's first two seasons. Hopefully we reached more calmer times and we can just sit down and have a good chat about it. Okay, first, I feel it's important for me to point out I'm a huge Tenant fangirl and I confess that I def- that definitely affects how I feel about the RTD era. I think I'm way less critical about it than I should be. That being said, let's do this. RTD and Moffat both obviously have different ways to approach the stories I think it's a consensus that RTD was more emotion driven While Moffat was more conceptually driven This leads RTD to be more centred on characters And how the stories affect them Which is something I found myself drawn to The emotional arcs he devised were really good On the other hand, in some occasions, that came at the expense of plot. His constant usage of Deus Ex Machina was irritating, for example, Last of the Time Lords. Also, I have to point out that the RTD era had what is, to this day, one of the worst hours of television I ever watched, Love and Monsters. Written by him, by the way. (laughs) Now, this will be a touchy topic. The Moffat era... Did have a serious problem with how he conceived The female companions Most of their lives were strongly intertwined With the doctors RTD too had flaws of course Particularly with Martha But I did think his companions were ordinary women Like it could be me or a girlfriend Or a woman you see on the street Moffat's companions are the special one Which is bad for the fantasy, where you would think that anyone could be the Doctor's companion. I also didn't like that all these companions needed to have a romantic attraction to the Doctor. In Amy's case, it was still there even after she married Rory. That wasn't cool at all. Still, I have to point out that Amy, River and Clara did have some really strong character moments and arcs during his era. For example, Flatline, already with Clara, was truly an amazing episode, and a strong one for her as a character. A good point for Moffat to me is that he is really invested in philosophical questions, another topic that I love, although he seemed to have a problem with conclusions. (laughs) The Monk and the Glass people could have been so much better. Another fact is that Moffat did indeed write some of the best episodes of New Who, including one of RTD's era, Blink. However, the game definitely changes in the second half of Moffat's era for me, because of the lot of problems I had with him during Smith's times were greatly improved. ...during Capaldi's times... ...she's with you on this I think Dave... Um, ...the dynamic between the Doctor and companions... ...was much better... ...in fact the character centric moments... ...which was one of the things that shined in RTD's era... ...were back... ...the romantic interest... ...which I think was drowning Clara's character... ...was gone... ...and it was fully absent with Bill... ...it was back to the Doctor's pure love for humans... This led the stories to have a more natural feeling and a much better dynamic. I felt it was back to focus on human curiosity, exploration, and our desire to learn. A couple of years ago, I would have answered RTD was my favourite, but now I actually think my answer is Moffat, to my own surprise, and it's largely due to the 12th. It's a shame his era will not likely get the recognition it deserves. Have a great week!
1: I relate to a lot of the comments there, Renata. Thank you for that email. I think that she's reached the same conclusion I have, that if you take the Capaldi year in isolation, it's, it's fantastically good, and, and Moffat deserves a lot of kudos for it.
0: And even as a self-confessed tenant fangirl who loves RTD and thinks he writes great characters and they could be like her or her girlfriends, she still goes with Moffat in the end.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to just make a couple of points on that email. First of all, I realised when she mentioned Love and Monsters, I forgot to mention the third story that had an AI dropped below 80, and that was Sleep No More, which got a 78. Yeah. So um, yeah, But only three stories in the time you run of drop below 80, which is a big, big deal. Um, we haven't mentioned Rory, and we haven't mentioned the accusation that Moffat never kills anybody.
0: No, well, I guess it's been done to death so many times we we may be subconsciously sidestepped it. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Insofar as he kills a lot of people, but not a lot of people stay really, really dead.
1: Yes, and... <laughs> Look, it has been under. I, I do think it is a valid criticism of his era. Um, I know you can say, well, they're technically dead, but sorry, if you're still conscious and your memories go on and your personality goes on, that's not what death is to me. So, River Song is not dead. Clara is not dead, etc., etc. So, and and Rory, you know, died multiple times and came back to life. Why did Rory stick with Amy? She treated him I so badly.
0: Know. I don't know.
1: <laughs> she treated him so badly. Rory, you can do better. Get yourself a hero.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The final email we have is from J.R. Southall of the Blue Box podcast. Thank you for running into us, J.R. Um, I won't do his letters in a terrible fake accent, (laughs) even though he does mine in, 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 in one. Before getting into the debate itself, it's worth saying that there hasn't been a single episode of Doctor Who made since 2005 that isn't funny, smart, imaginative, and engaging. Not a single one. Questions of which are better than others tend to be questions of individual taste, far from anything else. There just aren't any bad episodes. Having said that, my thought on Russell T. Davies is that while he did an absolutely brilliant job of bringing Doctor Who back, in order to do so he made certain compromises with what the series was, that made him the perfect writer for the revival, by the way, as these were things that he himself was especially good at, and that made the series far more successful than normal Doctor Who would generally be. That gave us a slightly odd program, which sat happily somewhere between what you'd expect from Doctor Who and what you'd expect from more normal primetime TV drama, and what you'd expect from a Saturday night light entertainment slot. It was, in a word, fantastic, but it wasn't quite Doctor Who. When Stephen Moffat took over, he kept everything that Russell T Davies had done, a greater emotional attachment between the Doctor and the companion, arc storylines driven by the companion and that relationship. A sense of wonder at the universe and a sense of responsibility on the Doctor's behalf, but through the tone of how the modern version relates to the classic in a slightly different direction. Rather than generating a kind of Doctor Who that was like the classic series, but infused with normal TV drama, Moffat created a version that took the classic series and experimented with what it could have been capable of. However, crucially, the idea that Doctor Who could still fit into a Saturday evening light entertainment slot with big moments, the spectacle. The sense of exploration, storylines that would involve, engage, and surprise the viewer was still quite intact. It was, again, fantastic, but once again, it wasn't quite Doctor Who the way we knew it. As to which was better, the answer is neither. They each did something slightly new with Doctor Who, and they both did it comprehensively and equally successfully, and they both excelled in achieving the things they set out to achieve. Doctor Who has never been better conceived and produced than under either of them. It's a matter of personal taste as to which one any individual viewer might prefer. I myself much prefer Stephen Moffat. In the grand scheme of things, they'll both be remembered equally for what they did for the program and for the boundaries they pushed while doing so. It's my considered opinion that Stephen Moffat, for the way he pushed the envelope in terms of what Doctor Who is capable of, will go down in history as the greatest writer thus far to have worked on the series. But equally, Russell T Davies will go down in history for the way he went about bringing it back. And for the unprecedented success that he had doing so, nobody else has ever taken Doctor Who to number one in the viewing charts. Davies did three times. We were extremely lucky to have both of them. So that's from JR. And look, he he makes a very good point. Of course, it is all about personal taste. And I certainly hope, Rob, that as we've discussed these series, where people disagree with our personal taste, we have at least tried to explain why we feel that way and understand why others might and I I hope we've succeeded in that because that's what we've tried to do
0: I think so and that that's a great email to end on you know when when you're looking through it to say you know neither is better I think yeah, well, that's right, because when I, when I did the scores, that there's it's negligible, the distance between them, when I scored them. You know, they are similar. When he says, you know, Moffat will go down as the the best writer, but Russell will be remembered for bringing the show back, I think, yeah, well, that ties into this broad sense that maybe Moffat wrote the better stories, but Russell was the better showrunner, you know? So I, I can sort of see all these arguments making perfect and, and utter sense, and it does ultimately come down to which side of the fence you fall onto. We are very lucky to have both of them, and um, I think our discussion has said that. We have praised the living hell out of both RTD and Moffat episodes. We've said both from both of them there are episodes that are dodgy. Uh, I think we've done our general, you know... <laughs> Center uh, sort of view on this—we're not skewed one way or the other—and and, and I hope people have enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To say that either era, era is faultless and perfect would be completely wrong. To say that either era is awful and without you know merit is equally wrong. There is good and bad in both of them, and they're very different styles. Uh, there's a lot of enjoyable stuff in there. Doctor Who's still going; it's going into its eleventh season. That wouldn't have happened without some good stewardship. Stephen Moffat deserves some credit for that.
0: Do you think it would be fair to say in terms of RTD versus the Moff, it's a draw?
1: No, that's too feel-good for me, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Go and Was that too RTD? It's too RTD, yeah, no. Go and make your own decision into people. Everybody's going to have their view. Everyone's going to have their view. As I say, looking at it holistically, it's Davies for me. If I can break the Moffat era down, it's Moffat-Capaldi for me. So... There's no right or wrong answer. Everybody reaches a conclusion. Make your own. Tell us what you thought.
0: Yeah, definitely. Write in, let us know on uh, Twitter or or email or Facebook, whatever you like.
1: Well, that's RTD versus the Moth.
0: Done and dusted. I think that could be our longest episode for the year. I think so. Although the year's only just begun.
1: (laughs) I I think so. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope we haven't um, gone for too long. Uh, Yeah, let us know what you think.
0: Mm. Now, next month... We, uh, we know what we're doing next month, Dave, because can we reveal what's about to happen? Well, there
1: comes a time in everything related like to Doctor Who where you have to do a multi-doctor story. Yes. And, well, we will be recording in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, so I will be there in person, but there will, be, there will be more to that. Who will be our war doctor?
0: Yes. Yes. Who will be our herndel?
1: Who will be our Herndl? Who will be our John Hurt? Uh, Because we will be joined by some very special guests in Sydney. Um, We're going to be up there recording over the Australia Day weekend. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, And our topic for next month, though, we can say, is Fantasy Doctor Who. Yes. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that topic.
0: Yes. So, folks, this will be the first time ever that Dave and I have been in the same room, let alone recording in the same room, Um, Some people sometimes express, you know, surprise to me. They think we are are in the same room when we're having these conversations, but we're not. We're actually on Skype. Uh, We have never met in real life and we're about to.
1: We are. We are. So a lot coming up next month. Uh, And and I'd also just like to announce and thank you to all the really good feedback we've had about our Blake 7 episode of Alternate Galaxies last month. We had some really good feedback about that. I really appreciate it. Uh, We flagged at the time that Richard and I are going to start a Blake 7 podcast going through all of those episodes we've created that it's called spacefall and our first episode is planned to drop on the 22nd of february
0: fantastic so find it in the uh itunes store
1: uh yes so look for it in the itunes store we'll do a lot of our advertising on social media as we get closer but look for spacefall a blake 7 podcast on facebook
0: well i'm looking forward to that because i've been watching blake 7 from start to finish first time ever i've done it in order
1: oh good yeah i haven't done it in order from start to finish for a long time and i'm really enjoying doing it we've we've recorded a couple of episodes and we've plotted a couple more you know it's it's two people who love the series really going in depth about it and um i i i don't mind saying we've borrowed a few concepts from uh, the doctor who show there are uh, not quite player of the week and and the like but some similar ideas will be be percolating in our Blake 7 podcast about each episode
0: Do you have a sports desk?
1: We don't have a sports desk that would be too much of a steal but we do have that sort of idea of you know players of the week and that sort of thing that we talk about so it's a bit of fun very in depth but a bit of fun and if you are like Blake 7 I hope you'll join us to do it if you're new to Blake 7 then they're all on YouTube at the moment Um, I encourage you come and join us for the journey watch one every fortnight and Watch them with us and see what you think.
0: Yeah, it's not not a big ask. Only fifty minutes each.
1: Yeah, and we are going fortnightly, which will make it a slightly uh, a slightly easier tread. I, I know some podcasts that go weekly, including our goodies podcaster, that becomes quite a slog. How the mm. um, flight through entirety guys have done it over the last few years, I have no
0: idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, I'm I'm good to go, Dave. Um, I will see you in Sydney. Yes, and we'll. Uh, talk to our listeners again soon we'll see you then bye bye
1: to dude